You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 504. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 2C at the Hyatt Regency in Wichita, Kansas. Today's show is recorded on the 6th of January, 2022. Hong Kong investigators blame the pilots of a Canadian flight for a tail strike during landing. British Airways starts selling tickets for its Gatwick-based short-haul subsidiary. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 504 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter, currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia. And joining me today from his studio in Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAF RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330 A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Oh, hi there, Jeff, and hi, crew. Uh, tonight I'm being sponsored by a well known uh, adult beverage uh, producer, and by golly, it does you good. Yes, it does. And also joining us from her student. A studio in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer director, it's Liz Piper. Hi, everybody. Hello. Hey, oh, hmm, the beer is talking. Sorry. <laughs> um, so let's go ahead. You guys ready to That's do some aviation problem. news? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But the, Jeff, there's some bloke behind you. Oh, he's. Sitting right next to me over here. I, I forgot about this. Okay, hang on. Uh, we have also joining me in my hotel studio. He's an engineer in the U.S. defense industry, and he's a crew member on the C-47 named Betsy's Biscuit Bomber. It's Nick Camacho. Hey, everyone. Happy to be here. Looking forward Hey, Nick. Welcome aboard. All right. So that was pretty funny what we did there, huh? Hilarious. Yeah, that really cracked me up. (laughs) And that is just a little tease of how funny this show is going to be. All right. It's going to be funny. (laughs) All right. So sit back, relax, and hang on. We're going to talk about some news. Stand 
Stand by for news. All right, we're going to start off with this incident: uh, Boeing Triple Seven Three Hundred ER uh, Air Canada branded uh, happened um, a while back. I think in 2017, exactly. Um, I'm sure we'll come across it here in the uh, narrative. Uh, Air Canada Flight 15, a Boeing 777-300ER, suffered a tail strike while landing on runway 7 right at Hong Kong Czech Lapcock International Airport. How'd I do on that one? All right. Czech Lapcock, yeah, very good. Ah, exactly the way I said it. Uh, the captain was the pilot monitoring and the initial operating experience training captain for the first officer. The crew anticipated an arrival and landing on runway 7 left. However, there was a runway change to 7 right. The weather was as expected with a wind velocity from 350 degrees at 12 knots. The aircraft intercepted the ILS, was stabilized in the approach to 7 right on the correct descent profile with the autopilot engaged through 1,000 feet. The first officer disengaged the autopilot after descending through 500 feet. Following the reversion to manual flight, the approach profile became approximately half a dot above the glide slope. At approximately 200 feet, the aircraft entered into a series series of minor lateral roll deviations, followed by a pronounced roll first to the left and then to the right in response to the pilot's control inputs. Uh, let's see. In response to the increasing unstable oscillations, neither pilot called for or initiated a go-around, nor did the other two crew members in the cockpit. At the runway contact point, the aircraft was rolling left and then right with a high rate of descent and a nose-high pitch attitude. This resulted in a hard landing with the right main landing gear contacting the runway, followed by the left main gear while the aft lower fuselage contacted the runway surface. If you're watching the video or referring to our show notes, we have some some photos of the, uh, well, if you go back one there, of the uh, landing uh, that uh, the incident aircraft uh, had, and you can see the bank oscillations and you can also see the kind of hard to see it's not really uh, a very large image there but uh, you can kind of see it wasn't very stabilized that last few feet um, aircraft bounced with the right main landing gear uh, contact contacting the runway first the aircraft bounced again landing on the no- nose gear followed by both main gear after the runway contact and initial bounce, there was no call for a go-around, and after touchdown from the subsequent bounce, the pilot monitoring, uh, the uh, the check captain, removed the pilot flying's hand from the thrust uh, levers or levers and selected reverse thrust. There was no formal transfer of control. There was a further distraction. <laughs> when a beverage container was dislodged from the pilot flying's holder, the FO, and dropped onto the floor and the pilot flying bent forward to retrieve it. <laughs> okay. The aircraft then mm. completed the landing roll and continued to the parking stand. Uh, well, all of his own. Yeah. And they said, you know, hey, all right, we're here. Uh, let's go to the hotel and drink <laughs> yeah, some beer. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So how did I do, Captain? Well, you know, the good thing, well, sort of, uh, was that uh, they had a uh, GoPro camera set up uh, on the on the captain's side. Uh, that was uh, capturing all this in its uh, splendid detail, and uh, and and it notes in the report that it was not authorized by Air Canada; <laughs> they had not given uh, permission for this. But I think that the investigators 
appreciated the fact that the GoPro was set up and captured all of this inside the cockpit, including the audio of the cockpit conversations, because the cockpit voice recorder, uh, they didn't pull the breaker or do whatever was necessary to preserve the audio. And so it was recorded over. So they didn't have the full audio uh, necessary for the investigation, but they did because they had the GoPro camera and the flight crew, the captain uh, allowed the investigatory agency to use the video and audio from the GoPro camera. So in a way it was like, yeah, you were not supposed to do that, but we're glad you did. <laughs> so um, just thought I'd throw that in there. Um, so the causes of this, an unstable approach developed due to the uh, due pilot induced lateral rolling oscillations, which coupled with a high rate of descent resulted in an abnormal runway contact contributing factors, stabilized approach criteria, the late recognition by the pilot monitoring that the stabilized approach cr criteria after the second 500 foot uh, arrival gate was outside the required tolerances, pilot flying PIO, which is, which is pilot induced oscillations, onset recognition, the over controlling High gain by the pilot flying resulted in PIO. There is no requirement for uh, PIO onset recognition or recovery actions in the operator's training procedures, uh, but there is now. Uh, go around to <laughs> yes, so do I. <laughs> the late recognition yes. by the pilot monitoring that the aircraft was in an unstable flight condition that should have resulted in an unstabilized or go around call from the pilot monitoring and required an immediate go around. And uh, the pilot flying did not initiate a go around when the aircraft was in that PIO condition. Anyway, so they have a couple of other causes here, but you get the picture here. They came in, it's on autopilot, everything's stabilized. He clicks it off at a thousand feet above ground. And as he gets closer to the runway, oh, by the way, we should mention this was the first flight segment in a real 777 for these, this, this first officer. This, so this was his first landing attempt in a from what I gathered here on the um, on the triple seven three hundred ER, his last airplane. I think he was making a transition from the um, ERJ one ninety series, a narrow body uh, regional jet. So I think could have been the. I think it's his first um, big, you know, large, uh, wide body kind of airplane experience. And that's triple seven three hundred is a good, quite quite a large airplane actually. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, he, uh, but somewhere in the report, and I'm trying to find it, and it's just not showing up. Um, it talks about the actual control inputs that uh, the first officer made, and they were pretty significant. At one point, I think it was the full deflection of the control wheel. Um, and if you're <laughs> getting close to touchdown, and just about any airplane that I can think of full control wheel deflection is not a good thing. It should be a sign that something is not yes, going right. <laughs> definitely a sign that is not good. Yeah. Um, and, and what's more up down to 500 feet, of course, autopilot flying it had been absolutely fine. Uh, the mm -hmm. conditions weren't bad to upset him. You, you know, I think it's just a, a real lesson for him on uh, control uh, inputs on a big aircraft uh, with lots of inertia and the fact that uh, despite the fact that there are big surfaces on a, a large aircraft like this to help you maneuver it it still takes a little while for your input to have an effect uh, and you've just got to build in that mental lag 
and your expectations of what the aircraft's going to do compared with the type you flew before, which would have been pretty light and uh, nimble. Uh, it's going to take a lot more to move a 777 around, and I think this quarter mount, uh, I don't put any blame at all on the, the young first officer. Uh, I, I just think his... Uh, his uh, line captain, who was, uh, you know, observing and training him, uh, would probably have done better to have stepped in earlier and uh, arrested the problem or sent him round. I agree. That that was really the problem in this whole thing was, you know, you're expecting um, someone new to an airplane, first time really flying the actual airplane to perhaps get into a situation that is unstable. And uh, the training captain should have been ready for that and uh, ready to take over or at least, you know, declare that they should go around. Um, I think I finally found some of the information about the deflection of the, no, I'm sorry. That's not it. Should have highlighted that. Anyway, it was a, it was a huge amount of control deflection, completely inappropriate for, you know, being that close to the ground on a, on a landing attempt. But um, the captain didn't even, when he took control of the airplane, he didn't even say, I have the airplane. Uh, It it was almost as if he was like completely taken by surprise by this last few seconds, um, you know, the control PIO input by the the first officer. But uh, yeah, and this destabilization of the approach uh, close into the ground is an obvious area of concern uh, for, I think, any trainer. Um, And having made the impact on the runway and bounced there's definite cause uh, to take over control at that point because the the next impact was near nose wheel first very lucky got away without without, without major damage to the nose wheel um so you know this was really not well controlled no looks like the initial contact am i right in saying next one First, nose wheel, one of the bounces came down nose wheel first, perhaps the final one. I, I'm not sure about that, honestly. Um, I don't remember that aspect of it, but I can tell you that the initial G oh, force no. on touchdown I might be was... I'm thinking about the 737 we've got later, sorry. Okay. 3.56 G on the initial contact with the runway. That's significant. Uh, hard, definitely a firm landing. Um Let's see. The aircraft was rolling 10 degrees right with a rate of descent 723 feet per minute and a nose-high pitch attitude of 6.8 degrees, which resulted in the right main landing gear contacting the runway, followed by the left main gear concurrent with the rear fuselage contacting the runway surface. So that's the damage that occurred. And I think Liz was showing us some of the uh, slides of the damage on the tail of the uh, 777. It was quite significant uh, there we go. We were looking at it again. Oh, yeah, yeah I'm right. I'm right. It yeah. said uh, the aircraft bounced right gear, contact mm-hmm. the runway first. The aircraft bounced again, landing on the nose gear, oh, followed boy. by the main gear. Oh, so, that's no good. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, I mean, he, I don't know which one of whether the captain's giving a shove on the stick or something, but uh, no, he tried to derate, the, take the airplane so fast there, he got nose wheel first, and he, that, that's not a Yeah, nice and position. that, you know, that rate of descent is pretty significant to me, too, because I've always been in little airplanes when I'm flying. I've always, you know, 500 feet a minute is kind of the threshold we use for a comfortable descent. And that's like through, you know, 
at altitude coming down. So they're beyond. Before you actually do that. They're beyond player. that point. Yeah. And they're hitting the ground at that ready descent. That's I try to re, uh, limit mine to about 1,000 feet per minute on the touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. A lot less than that. I mean, a normal touchdown uh, right before touchdown should be. Well, when we do uh, heavy landing, overweight landing procedures, it say they say uh, keep it uh, less than 300 feet per minute at the touchdown. And I would say a normal touchdown, like a nice landing, would be maybe 50 to 100 feet per minute. I don't know why or where I'm getting that, but it sounds yeah. good. It sounds like a reasonable thing. I mean, uh, I think the writing should have been on the wall um, shortly after he took manual control because very quickly he went from – being on the ILS to being one dot high, so mm -hmm. I'm thinking, hmm, okay, that's that's gone. That's shallowed the approach quite quickly, quite early, mm -hmm. and the only way then to you know get back is to you know give it a few degrees nose down and let the airplane settle back on. But we're making corrections under the glide slope now, quite late into the final part of the approach, and you know I think if you're on your your first attempt at a landing you've got a lot of uh, attention uh, to split now because you're now trying to make a, a quite quite a, a finessed correction under the glide slope to reacquire it and then reassume the correct attitude to maintain it not power down through it and bang onto the runway uh, meanwhile he's he's fighting with the lateral controls at the same time so it was starting to go wrong really from pretty soon after he Took out the autopilot. Yeah. I'm afraid. Um, so I'm just I'm just wondering what the the jet captain was was doing. Was he trying to coach him through this, or was he? Uh, I, I wouldn't have mind hearing the audio, but uh, needless to say, I expect both of them have had some extra training. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> needless to say, <laughs> I was just wondering what the uh, the two pilots that were sitting uh, in the back of the cockpit in the jump seats were. <laughs> were uh, thinking when all this was happening, like, oh, this is it. Yeah, <laughs> this I is mean, not going to be very good. well to say that that they they didn't do anything to help, but there's not a lot you can do from the back no. of the cockpit mm -hmm. except perhaps point out that you've haven't put the gear down or something. You can Stupid. yell or you scream. Can't or start or yelling. <laughs> yeah, yes. Can't start yelling instructions <laughs> from the back of the cockpit. So I, I, I absolve them as well, apart yeah. from the fact that they've probably out of duty as those two since they haven't had any rest, uh, you know, so they can not really in a position to do much. Their duty day's done. Uh, Gubby says uh, they were probably asleep. <laughs> yes, I did. I, well, for, for a little while until yeah, they it, probably woke up. Until it, <laughs> <laughs> Why am I shaking about the back of this airplane? You know what I thought was interesting is the reaction that the first officer had in the midst of all this, when the water bottle or whatever it was, beverage container, it dislodges from the, the cup holder and falls into the floor, and he leans down and reaches for this thing to, to, to grab, grab it. You know, I was thinking, I don't know if that would be something that I would think about doing in this situation. Yeah. You know? Seems like it could have been an easy out for him to hand the airplane off to the captain and say, oh, I've got a fought issue over here. I need yeah, to but I mean, it came out on, during between yeah. the first and second bounce. Yeah. So yeah. it was. That's a perfect time to say, <laughs> you have control. Yeah. It's your, your airplane, sir. Good <laughs> luck. Good. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to pick up this water bottle. I love it. Oh, uh, yeah. But I mean, uh, we've had. Uh, instances of water puddles going uh, down and they uh, on the landing face because they scoot straight under the rudder pedals 
and they can obstruct the rudder when you're just trying to stop the damned aeroplane. So uh, not an ideal thing to have kicking around. Um, you need to make sure that all your water bottles are well secured, chaps. Yeah. Hey, which one of you in the chat room scared uh, Liz away? She was with us on the uh, on the video <laughs> until somebody pointed that yeah, out. Yeah, I don't. Okay, so I'm back, but Jeff, I don't think you're hearing me on clean feed because that's what I wanted to. Oh. Uh, I've been talking to you, but you're not responding. So well, that's, that's why I came okay, back. Okay, go go ahead and give me a test and see if I can hear you on clean feed. Okay. No, I'm not. I'm not hearing you. Not seeing any signal at all from CleanFeed. Are you sure you have your mic selected? No. I, I can see it responding at my end, but let me just connect again. I'll disconnect and come back in. Okay. Sorry, everybody. Oh, it could be the uh, connection issue. Oh, with uh, the hotel Hi, Wi-Fi. Yeah, with the hotel Wi-Fi. Well, I guess now is as good a time to... to oh, who? <laughs> What the heck? As if by magic. Yeah. Oh, I've been listening for a little while. Sorry. Jeff, can you hear me now? Yes. Can you hear me now, Jeff? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, that's just... what I was trying to tell you. Ah. Was just about to come in, so don't move on. <laughs> oh, hey, right here Liz, I hate to interrupt you here, but Steph is, is here now. <laughs> I think Liz knew that, actually. <laughs> I, I, she probably did. Probably long ago. She knew it. She knew it long before I did. Thank you, Liz. I'm sorry. Uh, I guess, I don't know what happened. It must, during our... Uh, connection loss, I think. It must have, I don't know what the right term is, but okay it's okay now. I can hear you. Thank you. Okay. Well, hello, Steph. Hi. You don't mind if I don't play your your uh, Don't play music it. Thing? It's not necessary. Okay. okay. I think at this point, if people don't know who I am, it's because it's their first time listening and yeah. they should probably listen to some other episodes. Yeah. You get the full. <laughs> the full. By the way, she is a real doctor. We, we call her Dr. Steph yes. because she's actually a, a doctor pilot. and a real pilot. And that's where I was just now, doctoring. Yeah. And, you know. You're doing your doctoring stuff? I thought stuff? I was going to get away with, what's that? Do- doing doctoring things. Yeah. Doctory things. Yeah. Doctoring things. Uh huh. Stabby yes. things. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, we're so glad that you made it. Uh, so perfect me too. timing. Yeah, perfect timing. Oh, yeah, actually, it is perfect timing. Thank you, Liz. Exactly. Uh, so uh, we're gonna we, we just covered one of our news items, Doctor Steph. Yes, but uh, I know. the next one, uh, I'd like you to cover this one if you don't mind. Why is that? I don't. Oh, because there's um. Yeah, I just uh-huh. just go. I think just I, don't I think even I don't even look why. at just it. Keep, just start just reading. reading. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Hang so, on, hang on. Before yeah, we no, do, I, I got this. Before we do, though, have have you had any alcoholic beverages? No. Okay. Well, then, quick, why have one. Why don't we save this <laughs> no. news item till later Did in the show about four? and have, have Steph's nope, shotgun too late. I'm four read beers? It. This is item one uh, B. <laughs> okay. Oh, I know what's in here. It's all right. Um, no, I don't want to install updates now. Here we go. Uh, so this is news, an accident. This is from the avherald.com. It is a Boliviana de Aviación Boeing 737-300 um, uh, in La Paz <laughs> on August 3rd, 2019. The main wheels rotate in relation to gear strut. Huh? Hmm. Uh, so let's find out what that means. 
So <laughs> sounds like that's what they're supposed other... to do. <laughs> I don't know. Yes, this Maybe is seven thirty seven three hundred flight registration. Charlie Papa three zero seven seven performing flight six zero four from Cochabamba to La Paz in Bolivia. With 90 passengers and six crew landed on La Paz's runway 10 when the aircraft suffered severe vibrations on the rollout and came to a stop on the runway. The aircraft was disabled. Emergency services responded and found the left main wheels had rotated versus the left main gear strut. Huh. Okay. I think yeah. they, they uh, went, so they huh. turned sideways the wrong way? Yeah, I think they like 90 degrees from the way they were degrees. supposed to. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that sounds yeah. not compatible with... No good appropriate forward motion. Um, four passengers received minor injuries. Pa- passengers neck, reported a number. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, my back. You see, oh, my lawyer. That, that, my I don't see what's wrong with that. It just looks like a set of Boeing underpants. Uh, oh, here we go. They all look like that, don't they? And right. it starts. It starts. It oh, I'm surprised it hadn't started already. I know. I, I am were we talking about a 777? Weren't you talking about a 777 in the first yeah, one? Like we were. Boeing, Boeing, Boeing. Oh, yeah. Didn't oh, yeah, but it's Air Canada. They're nice people in Canada. Oh, I see. I see. <laughs> Not so much the Boliviana de Aviación. Okay. Well, actually, Folks. I've never met any Boliviana, whatever you said. <laughs> so I can't I think, speak I think you just had a brief laugh. I'm sure that he was talking about an American 737. Yeah, I am a fan. Exactly. Um, all right, let's continue. The passengers reported a number of ceiling panels came down during the landing rollout. I can imagine. The airline reported that the aircraft stopped on the runway due to problems with the landing gear. Um, if you're watching the video, Liz has put up some pictures of the problems with the landing gear. Uh, Bolivia's DGAC, I suppose they're um, like NTSB equivalent, reported that the aircraft, uh, Boeing 737-300, Suffered a malfunction in the main gear and became disabled on the runway. Why do they always repeat these things four hundred times? For us to um, look foolish. Let's and move sound on foolish. a little bit. Yeah. Yes. So in late um, late October eighth, twenty nineteen, they announced that all operations of the Boeing seven thirty seven Classic aircraft at La Paz El Alto International Air, uh, Airport are temporarily no. suspended. Yep, I couldn't say international. <laughs> That's the word I tripped up on. That's the easy uh, word. Yeah, yeah. English is the hard language for me. So. It's just fun anyway, for me they, to be they, able to do what Steph does when I'm make, when trying to do these words. And she goes, nail it. <laughs> nail it. Uh, the, they temporarily, temporarily suspended operations of the Boeing 737 Classic aircraft starting October 10th for as long as technical evaluations with respect to operations and airworthiness um, are being carried until risk mitigations and acceptable level of safety is reestablished. I'm pretty sure that sentence was just Google translated from Spanish without any <laughs> regard for grammar. So good yeah. luck if you figured that out. Um, a series of events um, prompted the assessment and suspension, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, we have a, an editorial note here. Incident. Uh, see also fracture of left shimmy damper on landing. Hmm. I see why I'm reading this now. <laughs> uh, oh, it's coincidental. Different incident. Uh, Boeing 737-500 uh, in 2018, both main gear struts collapse on landing. Hmm. And also an incident um, with in 2017 of a gear fracture of a 737-300. Uh, in a Spanish progress report, we know how Simon loves uh, these non-English uh, reports, reported the investigation is still ongoing. Analysis of the facts with specialists and the compilation of the final report, as well as safety recommendations, are underway. The DGAC reported that a visual inspection confirmed both shimmy dampers on both main gear struts were broken and the wheels were damaged. The captain 
53 ATPL, 9,000-ish total hours, also held a flight instructor's license, and was assisted by the first officer, who was 23 and had 893 hours total in a commercial pilot's license. Um, the FDR was examined by the NTSB, so the flight data recorder was found to be consistent with shimmy damper failures, which typically is caused uh, by one of three factors, maintenance, high-speed landing, or low rate of descent on touchdown. Maintenance cannot be determined to be a contributing factor. Uh, it is likely that the landing speed was increased due to tailwind at the time of touchdown. Uh, La Paz is also a very high airport, yes? Mm -hmm. um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is also likely that one gear strut touched down before the other, causing torsional moments, which exceeded the other gear's shimmy dampers limits. And then we have some pictures, which Liz has been showing. Yeah. How did I do? I think the only thing I had trouble with was saying uh, international. Well. A lot, a lot yeah. better than you did when, when you were talking about the other <laughs> shimmy damper on the earlier episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a couple of English were, lessons, you'll were, be fine. Yeah, exactly. They, um, you know, they, they were talking about there were a couple of uh, factors going into all of this stuff. There were a couple Don't of factors on that occasion, too, that led to my inability to read that article. Um, hmm. But yeah. yeah. So what do you all what do you all think about? What do you make sound of this? Like you at all? A hat, a brooch, a pterodactyl. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Good. Gotcha. See Very what good. you did there. Um, <laughs> so speaking of shim, well, first of all, a shimmy damper is just basically a cylinder, a hydraulic, hydraulic usually or some kind of fluid, but usually hydraulic fluid uh, filled cylinder with a uh, piston that uh, basically controls vibrations and and in GA in the GA world it's usually the nose wheel or it's nose gear It's usually the nose nose gear has, has a that. damper on the 172 um, 150 yeah Now on the um, airplanes that I've flown specifically the 727 the MD88 MD90 and now the 717 have shimmy dampers on the uh, main gear not the nose but the main gear um, just like this uh, 737 and uh, it's just uh, it's like you know the uh, the shopping cart syndrome when you you get that shopping cart and the, one of the wheels is going gug, 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 or maybe more than one. By the way, that's every shopping cart. <laughs> yeah, you that's true. Much, unless they're brand new, uh, yeah, they kind of those wheels start wobbling like that. A shimmy damper, if you had one on your grocery cart, uh, would would keep that wheel from wobbling like that, and that's what they basically do on airplanes and speaking of i have some personal experience recently with a shimmy damper issue just yesterday in fact um my first officer was doing a very thorough he's a very thorough first officer and does very thorough inspections exterior inspections and uh he's really great to fly with anyway he came back up and said jeff he said i, I need to to take a look at this and he has his phone out and took some pictures of this thing and i'm thinking oh no <laughs> and i looked at it and uh he's going this is the left shimmy damper and this is the looks like it's not at the right and i'm thinking i was telling <laughs> telling nick c here if it had been my walk around i probably would have gone that looks good to me <laughs> but uh, we thought okay yeah he, he has a point it does look like it's not as much cylinder showing as it normally does and so i thought okay well let's you know, talk to uh, maintenance control in Atlanta and see what they say about this. And uh, the guy's looking at the picture. You really can't tell because it's dark. And uh, he said, uh, let's do this. Let's have a contract mechanic come out. Uh, engineer, uh, Nick, for your translation. Thank you. Uh -huh. You have contract uh, ones in Atlanta? <laughs> no, this is not in Atlanta. This was in northwest ah, Arkansas. Okay. You remember the uh, text uh, that was sitting uh, in Northwest oh, Arkansas, Arkansas, yeah, well, Arkansas, Arkansas. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 Uh, so 
anyway, uh, he came out and looked at it and sure enough, uh, it was, uh, out of limits. And, uh, he said, okay, I'm going to, you know, bring over the Skydrawl tank, uh, hydraulic fluid. Uh, I think that's, that's a brand name, isn't it? Skydrawl. Yeah. yeah. Hydraulic fluid yeah. and then pump the thing up and get it to where it's supposed to be. And, and uh, I think we took a, almost an hour delay, uh, but we had a really good tailwind. So yeah, we were only about maybe 20 minutes late um, when we arrived in Atlanta. So it was, it could have been a lot worse, but anyway, so uh, there you go. Ch- uh, shimmy dampers are important pieces of equipment and uh, who knows, maybe we'd be on the aviation Herald if we <laughs> hadn't, if a uh, first officer hadn't noticed this uh, maintenance discrepancy and uh, so, uh, you know, cheers to Watch for First Officer Kurt for. Well, we should be we should be toasting yeah. with cheers. a shimmy damper IPA. Um, can I ask a stupid question? Oh, you do all the time. Go ahead. Would you like a stupid answer? Thanks. No, I want a <laughs> okay. proper answer. Okay. Uh, the main wheels aren't actually meant to rotate left and right, are they? They're supposed mm. to be on a seven thirty seven. No. Like uh, they're supposed to be going out. <laughs> they, yeah. yeah. So so. In line with the uh, if, the if they're supposed to be and they're locked in line with the fuselage and the mm-hmm. orientation of the airplane, etc., why do they need a shimmy damper at all? There's, there's no, it's not like a shopping trolley, which is designed to rotate. It's not designed to rotate. Why does it need a shimmy damper on the main gear? Actually, I don't think that's a stupid question at all. I don't have an answer for you. That's Good a great question. It really is. Okay. Well, let's move on then. Um, no, wait. <laughs> hang on. <laughs> Is there a Boeing engineer in the house? <laughs> Liz is displaying our 50% guarantee at the APG. We've hit the threshold just barely. But I don't know. Nick, do you have any answer to that? No, I'm, I'm not really what sure. What do you either. get for? Uh, you know, I brought you here. What, what, one idea he is. He brought beer. He brought beer. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the fact that you guys have multiple gear going up on one strut, yeah. you can put a torsional load into that into that uh, strut vertically, right? Mm-hmm. And so by putting a shimmy damper on there, that might allow for a little movement mm-hmm. while basically damping out the load into the the strut. So you may, oh. be, you may not be... Reduces the load that like gets shock, transferred to other absorber. parts yeah, of the basically. aircraft. I, I don't know if that's true or not. I, yeah, I, you know, no actually, I was looking up the shimmy but. damper in uh, Wikipedia or something like that, and it said basically a shimmy damper is like a shock ex- absorber. Yeah, because uh, basically what's happening, you know, is if if there's any play in there at all... Uh, when you hit, it's going to go to the limit and it's going to put an instantaneous high load at the limit. And the mm-hmm. shimmy, da- the idea of the shimmy damper, right, is you've got a piston and fluid, like you said, in a little orifice. And as that piston moves, it's pushing that fluid through a little orifice and it slows the acceleration of it down. Cool. Yeah, that sounds reasonable to me. Sounds like an engineer speaking. <laughs> uh, so sounds I did good. have one question for maybe uh, you and Captain Nick. This made the comment about it touching down on it says it is likely that one gear strut touched down before the other causing causing torsional moments which exceeded the other gears shimmy damper limits i realize that you guys like in a crosswind landing you guys are more um you more commonly land in like a crab versus like a slip or like a wing down it it depends on the airplane um in my airplane they really stress not landing in a crab but i think that uh, the Airbus world, I mean, I think they're, they're designed to land in a crab. Is that true, Nick? Or at least... Yeah, yeah we're allowed to land in a crab. Mm-hmm. Um, we're even in a strong in a strong crosswind. You're only expected to kick off about half the drift, and the airplane will 
centre itself up, taking yeah. out the remainder. I, but the main reason we do use the crab technique and not the wing down technique is because the proximity of the yeah. wing pods to the ground. Big giant so, right. across the ground. You, yeah, you, you can't land, uh, particularly as the main gear oleos compress with a wing down because you'll you'll bonker an engine right. into the ground. So I guess I was just surprised that, um, you know, one gear touching down that uh, – that load case would not be accounted for. Because even if you guys don't do it regularly, it seems like that's something that would happen at least occasionally. Well, they say, you know, we've talked about uh, landing techniques and crosswinds on the show several mm-hmm. times over the over the years. And uh, I was mentioning, uh, I kind of stumbled upon a PowerPoint presentation by Boeing. And basically, they said in this PowerPoint presentation that they Boeing has engineered and designed these airplanes to whatever the demonstrated crosswind um, limit is mm-hmm. uh, that your capability or demonstrated cro- max demonstrated right. crosswind that the airplanes are certified to be able to handle that even if they don't take any of the crab out um, except for the Long Beach products. That actually said it on the slide, <laughs> yeah. except the Long Beach products, which are not really Boeing products. Uh, they're right. McDonnell Douglas, Douglas products uh, because I guess, you know, they didn't make them. So they really can't, you know, mm-hmm. vouch for uh, any of, of that uh, as, far, as far as the torsional loads on the uh, struts uh, landing in a full crab. But um, yeah, yeah, so they do. Pretty uncomfortable yeah. and pretty bad for the gear if you do, which is why we try and finesse our landings. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I would I would like an airplane to be able to do that, that, that would be good without worrying about breaking it. Yeah. That that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. All right, Steph, I'm, I'm uh, sadly, I'm, I'm uh, disappointed that you read that so well. <laughs> mm. yes. yes. Well, <laughs> my apologies. She let us all down, Steph. Yeah, it was, uh, the entertainment <laughs> we value. We're counting on you. <laughs> entertainment value is very low. <laughs> that will not be in the thousandth show. Yeah. Okay. That, you know, when yeah. we do our thousandth uh, episode celebration, that will not be an excerpt that we play. No. No, I think you should bring back the original article and wait until I've had several beers. Okay. And make sure I'm very sleep deprived too, because that was the other key component of it. Okay. Could she let us know when uh, that's going to I need to be like on the verge of falling asleep. You'll have to text us. So you're uh, kind of in that like when you're you know, in that situation. dream state where nothing really makes sense. <laughs> to I'm in that state all the time, actually. <laughs> all right. Let's continue. We have an update. Update. Insert in post. Okay. Uh, Verizon Communications and AT&T Incorporated said late on Monday, which is like just a couple of days ago, that they had agreed to a two-week delay in deploying C-band wireless spectrum, also known as 5G in the United States, averting an aviation safety standoff that threatened to disrupt flights starting this week. By the way, this is has gotten uh, like major news media attention. Oh, yeah. This is something that mm-hmm. you hear on the normal news that uh, usually only us aviation geeks talk about, but now it's uh, mainstream. Um, probably because people are expecting to have their new fancy 5G and uh, it's being delayed a bit. Uh, and by the way, 5G. Thank well, you, five, crash, five, 5G. Thank you, T-Mobile, for your 5G, because that's what's uh, powering <laughs> the, the uh, connection here in the studio <laughs> in <laughs> Wichita. Okay. Uh, the agreement pushes... Meanwhile, a plane crashes next to the hotel. Well, it's, Sorry. if we're doing a show, Liz, it doesn't matter if the plane crashes. You know, we have to have our priorities. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay. Uh, the agreement pushes back the deployment date to January 19, 
Verizon said the delay promises the certainty of bringing this nation our game-changing 5G network in January. <laughs> Their PR department at work. AT&T said it agreed to the, to the delay at the request of Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. 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 Thank you. <laughs> I select one of those, Jeff, uh, for the post-edit. <laughs> okay. Uh, we know aviation safety and 5G can coexist, and we are confident further collaboration and technical assessment will allay any issues, AT&T said. Over the next two weeks, regulators, airlines, and wireless carriers will look at ways of minimizing the potential impact of interference on flight operations. The Federal Aviation Administration praised the wireless carriers agreeing to a delay and the safety me measures they offered. We look forward to using the additional time and space to reduce flight disruptions associated with fi this 5G deployment, the FAA said. Earlier on Monday, groups representing U.S. airlines, aircraft manufacturers, and airports had urged the White House to intervene to delay the use of wireless carriers of C-band spectrum for 5G, which the carriers won in an $80 billion government auction. Anyway, so, you know, we've talked about the whole 5G issue on this show before, and it has specifically to do with the uh, radio altimetry uh, devices in modern air transport category airplanes and corporate airplanes were equipped to do low yeah, you, visibility you approaches. explain to nick what one of those is jeff oh it's uh like the big like the big air they're like big buses that have wings and carry lots of people then fly yeah, and what a radalt is he, he won't oh know. radio altimeter yeah he knows yeah. what that is this guy oh, knows sure? a lot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. But he's joking. He's yeah. joking. In fact, I think that uh, that was one of his projects. He actually has the patent on uh, radio <laughs> altimeters. Right. No, it's he does the Camacho patent. <laughs> the Camacho hey, patent. I understand he's got the patent on the bit of string with the lead weight on it. But uh... <laughs> no, I think that was, uh, that was Mr. Ar Bob, Archimedes right? uh, or or Newton or well, something. Uh, I don't know. Mr. Plum Bob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Plum. Mr. Plum. Mr. Bob. We call him Bob Plum. Yeah. <laughs> Plum. If you're if you're a close friend, you call him Plum. <laughs> Yes. Uh, two weeks doesn't seem like very long. No, I was. Uh, Liz, Liz is saying two weeks doesn't sound like very long. I, I, I agree, Liz. I don't know really what difference a couple of weeks is going to make here. Um, well, that was going to be my next question. Okay, what are go you going to do in two weeks to solve the problem? Uh, they're going to install We're brand new. We're just going to forget about it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Everyone will forget about it, and we'll just move forward anyway, and uh -huh. we'll yeah. see what happens. Planes crash. Absolutely. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Um, yeah. yeah, they're going to they should have waited until I, I'm sure that uh, like if you get into the spring and, you know, the, the likelihood of low visibility approaches probably decreases as the yeah. year moves I, on out of. I was going to say, you know, everybody talks about the concern about crashes and losing people. You know, the other way to approach it would just be say, all right, he, you know, here, here are the new limitations we have. And then let people experience that for a couple of weeks. The you know the mm -hmm. amount of flights that are going to have to divert or go different places because of uh, losing the capability to utilize that instrument. Right. If you did it right now, nobody would notice the difference because our in the U.S. our airline industry is <laughs> right? right? yeah. <laughs> exactly. So. Oh, no real change. Okay. That actually, if they'd really thought it through, they, they should have just implemented it, it yeah. and said, "Yeah, well, this is." This is what was is normal for this time of year, so it yeah. has nothing to do with our new 5G thing. I don't know. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Though. I mean, truthfully, uh, the frequencies are separated, aren't they? They're not overlapping. So it's just that they're they're adjacent. So people are worried that any overspill may affect uh, the radars. So we don't actually know what's going to happen until people start flying in a 5G environment. It's like when you're so, tuning a crappy car radio and it's like not quite on the right yeah. you know, frequency for the radio station you want to listen to. And all you hear is like a lot of like static and like occasionally one or two words of the song is trying to pick up. Yep. Feels a little uncomfortable to have Captain Nick. I don't want any cell phones within three miles of my airplane. Active Anderson making a case for this situation. I know. He's well, I, I'm not. I'm not flying anymore. So not I don't care. In but, fact, now that he probably is only just traveling for leisure, he'd really very much like to have his phone with, with him. him all the time. Yeah, that's Absolutely. true. That's a good my phone on all the time. Thank you very much. Yeah, not turning this off. Yeah. yeah. So, really, realistically speaking, I mean. So what's a few plane crashes uh, compared to having this really great high-speed internet capability? On Get it, yeah, getting 4K videos on that two-inch screen versus... Exactly. So why are we 19. even That's, yeah, talking <laughs> yeah. about this? Get your priorities straight, people. All right. So we'll see what happens in a couple of weeks. We'll definitely cover it on the show. It'll be interesting. Oops. I didn't mean to push that button or click that there. Um that's what they all say. I know. I knew that was coming. That Okay. Uh, moving on. Uh, British Airways to debut BA Euroflyer ops from second quarter of uh, this year, 22. They've started selling seats for BA Euroflyer out of London Gatwick on BA's new London Gatwick-based short-haul subsidiary, which is to launch later in the second quarter. So, Nick... Uh, you're kind of close to the situation there in uh, in England and the UK. Yeah, 52 miles away. Okay, very close. A lot closer it's than we are. It's a lot closer are. than we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. So uh, have you, has this been uh, garnering a lot of uh, media attention there? None whatsoever. Oh, okay. We'd be more <laughs> interested in what the president has been saying about the 6th of January than <sighs> uh, any of this. Oh, so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, we, uh, us in the aviation Moving world, are along. interested because um, I would, in particular, would like to know, and if any uh, BA guys uh, would like to write in anonymously, if required, um, and let us know what the contract is like for the guys working at a Gatwick for this new subsidiary. Uh, my suspicion is that it'll be well below. The mainline uh, contracts uh, in various aspects. I'd love to know kind of is that, what. Give is that what happens with the uh, City Flyer flights, the ones out of um, London City? Or those contracts are different? Uh, I don't know, to be truthful about City Flyer, but um, previous efforts by uh, BA to create a, a, um, a low cost subsidiary um, did result in. Uh, a second-class contract. In fact, uh, for, for years before this, before they even tried subsidiaries, the Gatwick uh, crews were on a second-class contract, mainly the cabin crew, but uh, I don't know about the pilots. Well, but, you know, we, um, talked, we covered this recently uh, about the fact that uh, they were going to scrap the whole idea for this uh, subsidiary, right? Mm -hmm. Because the yeah. pilots an, were not playing. Yep. Yeah, the, the union uh, was uh, Sorry, uh, rightfully right pretty upset, I think. And 
Is someone making comments in the background? My phone was making a comment. Um, I, I, I had no idea what, why it responded. So which, which is uh, which is quite why I'm just kind of interested. I know what um, the union negotiations have you know re- resulted in. Yeah. So you know, B- BA guys, if you're listening, please. Right, let us know. Um, we're just interested, and I'm sure the rest of the aviation world is uh, interested as to what has had to be given up, possibly, in order to get your jobs back at Gatwick um, or not. Um, so, if, I mean, if, if they've done it and they're on the same contract as the Heathrow guys, brilliant. But if not, uh, we'd be interested to know. The, uh, I think the industry is interested to know because those young pilots uh, looking for a job uh, might think they're joining uh, the best airline in the country and find actually they're on one of their also-ran subsidiaries, and that might disappoint them a bit. I don't know. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. So call us. All right. Um, moving on to this next item. Um, oh, this is sort of interesting. A United Airlines flight attendant works for 23 years with a stolen identity. This is from One Mile at a Time blog. Yep, catch me if you can, Liz says. This is quite a story. A United Airlines flight attendant has been arrested after working for 23 years using the stolen identity of a person who he had never met, uh, who had passed away at a a young age. Uh, This is a Brazilian named Ricardo Cesar Guedes, born in 1972 in Sao Paulo, Brazil. However, for the past 23 years, he's been working as a United Airlines flight attendant using the name Eric Ladd. How could this happen? So over two decades ago, Guedes uh, managed to convince officials to issue him a United States passport in the name of William Erickson Ladd, which he later shortened to Eric Ladd. The real Ladd was born in 74, two years after this guy, in Atlanta, and tragically died in a car accident at the age of four. Sure enough, Guedes was uh, issued a passport in Ladd's name and even had that renewed several times and also managed to get a residency permit for his partner using his stolen identity. He then started working as a United Airlines flight attendant in the late 1990s using his stolen identity where he worked until recently, until he was recently arrested. (laughs) He he tried to, uh, in December of 2020, tried to get his passport renewed under his stolen identity, and the State Department uh, noticed uh, various fraud indicators. So an investigation was launched. Ladd's mother was approached in July of last year, and that was the first time she had learned that someone was using the identity of her son who had passed away. Investigators were able to compare fingerprints submitted by Guedes in Brazil to fingerprints he submitted in the United States under Ladd's identity, and they were a match. And then finally, he was arrested at Houston Airport, IAH, Houston Intercontinental. Federal agents were waiting for him to pass through a known crew member checkpoint. And uh, yeah, he now faces several charges, including false impersonation of a United States citizen, providing a false statement in a passport application, fraudulent entry into the secure area of an airport. Uh, United says he's no longer employed by the airline. And said that uh, they use a thorough verification process for new employees that complies with federal legal requirements. And indeed, it does seem like the government, rather than the United Air, rather than United Airlines, is to blame for the mistake. But the government caught yeah, it definitely. eventually. 
That's true. Uh, this uh, reminds me of, of <clears throat> Day of the Jackal. I'm okay. not familiar. Go ahead. Day of the Jackal, the, the, the movie in 1973, uh, all about uh, an assassin who used this technique of uh, taking uh, the, you know, the identity of a, a child who died uh, to get his um, passport to in a, infiltrate and uh, then attempt to uh, murder the president of France, The Day of the Jackal. Great movie, if you haven't seen it. No, have Never not. Never even heard of it. Have not seen it. Oh. The people in the well, lot. There you go. Movie. I bet Micah knows about it. I know that movie. Anyway, this is exactly this technique uh, he used, and uh, it's been used obviously quite successfully ever since. <laughs> yeah. Everybody in the live audience is enjoying my floating head effect. <laughs> yes, it's very it's fancy. Yes. Just Can you actually turn it around? Yeah. So <laughs> you, 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 oh, I can't do that. You're going to have an exorcism on show? <laughs> no, we're not going to have an exorcism on show, Liz. As much as you'd like that. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, I almost feel bad for this guy, you know, because he... I get the sense he just I mean, he was, wanted to He was to working. Work. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Making a living, yeah. I know. Was I, it I, legal? No. Yeah. But I mean, I feel sorry for the dead kids. Mom. At this I point, mean, he's it, been doing it for twenty-three years, and it's not like he was doing anything else that was, well, at least not that we know of, that was. No, I bet he was paying his taxes. Yeah, probably. Everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Uh, and he's going to go to jail for one hundred and ninety-five years now. I was going to say, you know, one of the charges was like passing through a checkpoint fraudulently, yeah. and you know, he probably did that. Thousands of times. Yes. Thousands makes you, of makes times. you wonder if they give him a charge <laughs> for every time he walks through there. $1,000 per time <laughs> that you walk yeah. through the uh, known crew member. Yeah. And Liz makes a good point. He said he, she feels sorry for the mother. You know, this guy using her oh, son's yeah. identity yeah. all these years. Yeah, definitely. Must be hurtful. That's very true, actually. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, an interesting story. Uh, Let's move on to this next one. Uh, and this is one we just added at the last moment because it just happened a couple of days Camacho. ago. Thank you to this guy right here, Nick Camacho. Um, this is from the uh, Aviation Herald. Uh, an, a, an SA Airlink Jetstream JS41 registration. Uh, Zulu Sierra November Romeo Juliet performing a charter. You're going to have to share the pictures, Jeff. Okay. Gonna... Oh, I have to share the pictures too, huh? Hmm. Okay. Yeah, the pictures are the best part of this. Yeah, okay, hang yeah. on. So if you're listening to the audio only, um, at least look for the link in the show notes All so right. you can look at the pictures. So we're, we're doing this on the fly. I didn't even think about the pictures part of it, Liz. Okay, uh, it's loading up in a new window, and I'm going to pop this right here, and then I'm going to share it so that people can see the pictures. And that should do it, I think. Nope. Got to hit this thing. Uh, sorry, people. Where'd it go? I can add it. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you. Okay. There we go. Uh, this airplane that you're watching, if you're watching the video, a, a Jetstream 41 was on a charter flight from... Johannesburg to Venetia Mine in South Africa was on approach to Venetia Mine when a bird impacted the right-hand propeller, 
causing one of the blades to separate and penetrate the captain. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Captain. Oh, good captain. <laughs> that was... Oh, Jeff. That's what you... Oh, Jeff. That's a Freudian slip. You I'm sorry. The, the best part about this news story is that no person was actually... Uh, penetrated. Penetrated. <laughs> I don't know. Just stop it. I don't know what's on my mind. Um, all right. I, I can't find... What, what happened to that window that I had? I popped up here. Oh, here. Here it is. Uh, so here, let me scroll down a little bit. So that's uh, one of the, I think that's the entry point. That Was is that? the entry point right there. Yeah, yep. entry. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you scroll back up to the other one, you'll see where the, you know, uh, if you, well, maybe read the, uh, <laughs> the full story here. It's not very long. <laughs> Would you like me to read this while you're uh, Please do. sharing pictures? Somebody needs <laughs> <All> to <right. laughs> help me. <laughs> a SA Airlink Jetstream JS41, um, registration uh, Zulu Sierra November Romeo Juliet, performing a charter fr- flight from Johannesburg to Venetia Mine, South Africa, was on approach to Venetia Mine when a bird impacted the right-hand propeller, causing one of the blades to separate and penetrate the cabin, not the captain. The aircraft <laughs> continued for a safe oh, landing. okay. The airline confirmed the incident, stating um, the aircraft operating a private charter flight struck a large bird upon landing at Venetia Airfield. None of the passengers or crew were injured, although the aircraft sustained substantial damage. So the first the picture, captain was uh, quoted as saying, uh, it wasn't a prop- propeller. I always have a stick up my ass. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that in the article. That must be a different... Oh, Nick has a different article. Uh, okay. I, yeah, I, I got mine from somewhere else. <laughs> okay. All right, that's, that's it. scary, though. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I was going to say, um, I always was under the impression that uh, a beam, the propellers, there was a hardened or a reinforced part of the fuselage I think to there is. stop so, this sort of thing happening. Yeah, if you look, and it may be hard for you guys to see, somebody made the comment in the Aviation Herald comments that it looks like the uh, penetration zone is maybe just behind that, you know, the C-47, we call them ice shields, but it's basically a additional layer of protection there. And in addition to stuff like this, you know, protecting from um, intrusions into the cabin, I guess, the ice that's always slinging off the propellers if you're flying through icing conditions is going to hit and damage that part of the airplane uh, more often. And it looks like maybe, you know, they talk about it being a bird strike. So it maybe had some like aft movement as it was coming off rather than just coming right. off tangentially. Okay. It looks like it maybe hit right behind that. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that makes All sense. Right. I mean, I see those two cabin windows have got a, a larger gap between mm-hmm. them. Um, than the other windows. Presumably that is because that's where they have a, uh, a stronger piece of fuselage, but it's obviously not strong enough in my opinion. Mm. Mind you, it, I mean, it's pretty unlucky, isn't it? I and mean, what's the chances? It, it could have come off in anywhere of like 300 degrees and mm-hmm. it wouldn't have gone through the cabin. It was just that 60-degree arc where it came off that was at the perfect angle mm-hmm. for it to slam straight into the cabin. But that isn't going to, uh, you know, Carry any water with someone who's sitting there. <laughs> Anyone else think it's slightly ironic that um, their logo is this large bird? Oh, it and it's is. Right <laughs> they nearly hit it, didn't they? <laughs> oh, look, there's a broom uh, in that seat right there. Yeah, we were we were talking about that before the show, and the certification requirements for propellers is uh, it's four pounds. Four pounds, yeah, two pounds yeah. for the for, for the windshield and four pounds for the birds. 
or for the props. And when I think about some of the birds that I've flown by, that does <laughs> not seem way sufficient. bigger than four pounds. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah that, that, uh, that prop is definitely splintered. It, it kind of reminds me of a, of a, a broom. I guess it's a natural composite. Well, maybe they hit a witch. Maybe they hit a witch. Ooh, it could have been. That might have been what it was. Good point, Liz. All right. Why did you tell them what I said? Well, I I oh, that's right. I, that's I forgot. I forgot that that's, that's everybody fine. You can't. Just, you can just move on because we'll I, have to just go back and listen. I, I can't. I can't. I forgot that you all can't hear what Liz is saying. Of course, if you're listening to the audio only, then you heard that because it's, I'm going to include it in there. But she said maybe they hit a witch. <laughs> on a broomstick. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Liz. Could be. The comedic so timing I've you, ruined. Just before you move on, Jeff, yes. Neil's got a great comment about your floating head here. Oh, Neil has a great comment about my floating head. 5G is perfectly safe for pilots, said our spokesman from Acme, as his head floated off. <laughs> 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 Wait. <laughs> you have to watch the video. My head is flying off. And, and you can't see it anymore. Okay. Let's uh, move on. And let's see. Okay. Yeah, I guess. Uh, it's we're, actually the one, hour, the one hour mark now. The one hour mark. Thank you, Liz. And this item in the news we're going to not cover because we've already no, done that. Okay. All right. Hopeful, but. Yeah. Well, hopefully Rick will be able to join us and then it, and maybe we can... Uh, what, what circle back is that Backtrack. what the uh, that's what the uh, the White House news uh, person uh, White House uh, press secretary always says we'll circle back I, I'll circle back to that that was one that was Does one of the most hated back? phrases of this yes year. you're right Liz it was one of the most hated phrases of the year according to some mm-hmm. person university. company university that does stuff like that anyway okay so let us hit this little button right here ah <laughs> getting to like me getting to hope you like me too all right <laughs> shut up the dogs are howling i hear it all right uh, thank you, thank you, Nick. Uh, it's it's the getting to know Nick. us segment. Well, I thought it was Nick that said that, wasn't it? It was. He said right beside you. Not this, Nick. No, you. <laughs> You're the one that was howling. I think. Okay, uh, so it's uh, that time of the show where we kind of quickly kind of figure out what everybody's been doing between shows and uh, who wants to begin with that. Nick Anderson is raising his hand. <laughs> <laughs> Don't really. Before he falls asleep. That's yeah, well, as just far the, as my background. Knows. Look, it's just the background behind me. Oh, uh, okay. I promise you. Um, what, what have I done? Uh, not a lot. Uh, I've I had a bit of an upset stomach this week, actually. Oh. I don't know what I've eaten. It's, it's, yeah. But um, I've got some tummy medicine. Hurt. And I've, tummy ache. I've just, yeah, I've just finished my second dose. Oh, really? Um, so I'm going to have a, uh, the medication. another one now. Yeah, <laughs> I have medication. I should be fine after that. Um, yeah, no, actually, very little. Um, it hasn't been that long since the last show, it seems. Um, all I did was get up nice and early this morning so I could do a, uh, a dog photo shoot for our friend Adam and his uh, lovely uh, fox a red uh, retriever. Um, that uh, he has puppy 
a lovely, lovely puppy. So we uh, decided we'd do a shoot in some frost, and this morning was the very first opportunity we'd had with a slightly frosty morning. So he came down and we we ran, uh, walked our, all our, our dogs together and uh, took some pictures. So that's great. Um, nice. Other than that, nothing really other than doing plain tales and uh, I'm watching my lovely wife take down the Christmas decorations. So, oh, Watching her do much, it? Darling. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. I'm still going to do my bit. I do the outside. She does the inside. Oh, and you had the, you know, the back issue good. and the tummy ache. So that's understandable. Yeah. Yeah. I've got yeah. a tummy ache. Yeah. So okay. That's it. That's my week. have man flu. Okay. Sorry about that. Uh, well, that's, I don't have much to talk about either, actually. Uh, Steph, how about yourself? I hope you're not counting on me to say a whole lot of things about I'm what not. I've done in the past week. <laughs> Good, because I didn't do that much. Um, it was New Year's, yes. Uh-huh. Um, I did oh, yeah. have plans for New Year's that was supposed to have included so going to a wedding of two people who I'd never met before um, on New Year's Day. Uh, but it was supposed to be lovely weather, and I was actually kind of looking forward to just, yeah being outside, having a drink, mingling with some people. Mm -hmm. Um, But we ended up not going because uh, several people were feeling unwell and uncertain of cause of said unwellness. Um, So that kind of got scrapped last minute, um, which also meant that my not very exciting New Year's Eve plans of just a nice late dinner also got scrapped. So I ended up at a local friend's house um, last minute. They actually... um, they must have known that my plans got canceled because I got a text message at like eight o'clock at night. Oh, hey, if you happen to be in town, a couple of us are getting together and, um, you know, we'll just have a small toast at midnight and go to bed. I was like, that sounds great. So went over to their house. Um, I had like a beer. Um, we played some pool, chatted a bit. It's kind of rainy and uh, toasted at midnight and came home and, and went to bed. Um I think it was pretty warm this past weekend, as I said, but also kind of rainy and overcast and humid, Um, but kind of used that time to open up all the windows in the house and got a lot of things cleaned and sorted. And yes, I was saying, I think I know what happened. Uh, The reason why they invited you is because you had your windows open and they could hear you sobbing inside the house (laughs) and they felt sorry for you. (laughs) You know, they're not that. Not that close. close. Okay. Location-wise, Never mind neighbors. Yes, I did have to drive 15 minutes across town to their house. So, if they could hear me from there, oh, um, I thought it was like right next be. door. <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, nearby. They're nearby. they're neighbors okay. in the same town. Gotcha. gotcha. I guess. Okay. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, no, it was it was nice. It was lovely. I got a lot of stuff done around my house. I cleaned up a lot of things that had been on the to do list. Um, I sorted through a lot of um, a lot of the junk that was on my desk which is now nice and clean and devoid of piles of papers um, or to-do lists. Mm. And yeah, it's kind of a nice way to reset for the, the first of the year. Cool. And then I've just been Good really, job. really busy with work this week, like exceptionally busy um, for some reason. Usually the first of the year, things kind of slow down a little bit. Everyone's made their mad, you know, last rush to get everything done before their insurance deductibles reset and things like that. And Nope, not this year. Just still busy. But that's a good thing. I like being busy. Good. Good. Excellent. All right. Well, you know, last episode I told you all about my exciting plans for New Year's Eve. Oh, yeah. 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 Let me tell you. Didn't work out. 
at all. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I was expecting Liz to be much more entertaining than she was, and I'm very disappointed. And the, and the dinner she prepared for me, I was really expecting a tasty uh, – well, no, I never actually made it to Toronto uh, because uh, we, uh, we showed up the, that morning of July – uh, not July, December 31st. <laughs> I'm a little off. <laughs> it felt like July that weekend. Yeah. It was quite warm. Yeah, it was actually. Um, so we were uh, at uh, Jackson, Mississippi in the hotel in the morning very early. And I noticed a couple of flight attendants there. We uh, require three flight attendants on the airplane that I fly. And, uh, I, and my co-pilot shows up and then I said, okay, uh, so, you know, where's your other crew member and they said well this is the second night we've been here and i think that was scheduled that way but they uh the company decided to take one of the flight attendants and send deadhead them back uh right away the, that first day to atlanta to cover another trip and of course they just assumed that the company knew that there wasn't going to be three flight attendants that morning and uh, apparently that fell through the cracks with all these cancellations and mayhem in the uh, airline world here in uh, the United States. And so we went, okay, great. So I called the company to see what was going on. And they said, yeah, uh, we see that we don't have anybody to cover the flight. And I said, okay, so we're in the van between the hotel and the airport at this time. And I said, so what are we going to do here? And he said, we're going to put a four hour delay because we have to fly, find a flight attendant and then fly them to Jackson, Mississippi. And then you guys can come back. I went, okay, so why don't we do this instead of hanging around the airport for four hours? Why don't we just go back to the hotel and uh, get our rooms back? And, you know, I think, uh, the two flight attendants that were there, um, ended up, uh, just going back to sleep. Um, my first officer and I went and had some breakfast and anyway, we were hanging out at the hotel and uh, then we got a call that said, uh, oh, we uh, the delay is not going to be as long as we thought. Uh, turns out that there is a flight attendant who um, ironically was waiting to fly our flight, a commute on our flight to Atlanta to uh, go to work for a trip. And uh, but this flight attendant didn't know that we were missing a flight attendant. And by the time she figured it out uh, and contacted the company after being on hold for over an hour, uh, they finally were informed that uh, she volunteered to fly the uh, trip or the flight to Atlanta. So anyway, long story short, we uh, the irony of it, of course, is that if we had gotten out of the van, gotten into the airport, made it through security and got to the gate, she probably would have realized that we were short a flight attendant and would have volunteered right there. And we probably could have flown the flight. I don't believe this at all. I don't believe it. At all. <laughs> is it, is it too elaborate? Am I making too, too, uh, yeah, you, you've, you've made too many oh, elaborate. Yeah. That's, that's the sign of somebody lying, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but no, I, yeah. this is the truth. And actually. the fact that you keep looking to your right. Um, that's right. also, yeah, that's the sign. That's the is sign it, that you're yeah. in my eye yeah. switching. eyes. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's the truth. I, I, it's true. It's true. Um, <laughs> the only reason I, I know this to be true is because we got the details of this like in real time as yeah. it was happening. That's, that, that is Whew. true. I'm yes. glad I was sharing everything. Yeah. We got <laughs> the whole sad story. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> so I was very disappointed, and so was Liz, that uh, you know we had planned to get together. We the first uh, in real life uh, get together was going to be at the 500th in Atlanta on the third of December, and that fell through for Liz coming down. And then I thought, well, no problem. We'll get together on New Year's Eve, and yeah, that fell through too. So, oh well, maybe a third time's a charm, right, Liz? Yeah. Right. Oh, she didn't sound. She's, that was a very sarcastic uh, response that she just <laughs> yeah, made. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, exactly. You, you did let her down. Yeah, well, sorry. Yeah, so anyway, oh, I spent uh, New Year's Eve in Nashville, Tennessee, which is a nice town. But, of course, you know, uh, we had a very early in the morning. Uh, but weren't you punished by up. having to fly a whole bunch more legs? Then? Yeah, my uh-huh. rerun included. Uh, thanks, Liz. <laughs> wow, that's kind of mean. <laughs> That's like Schadenfreude. Yeah. There. Wow. Really? Yeah. Ooh. So uh, yeah, my one leg back to Atlanta in the morning on Saturday, January first, turned into three flights. Um, so yeah. Anyway, and contractually, my airline is not allowed to do that, but <laughs> they did it, and I flew it. So now I have to figure out how to resolve all that. But uh, get the lawyers on it. Yeah, the lawyers. That that lawyer that helped out that guy for the. Just under $2 million settlement. Smiling guy. Yeah. Smiling Sam. Yeah. Anyway. So, uh, yeah. Didn't make it to uh, uh, Toronto for New Year's, sadly. So, sorry, Liz. That uh, That's the way things go sometimes. Anyway. Um, okay, it's time for the coffee fund now. Well, I don't get to say anything else? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> She's going, okay, it's time for the coffee fund now. <laughs> oh, oh. Like, move on i'm tired wait a minute i have more to i have more to talk about <laughs> okay. liz you can go ahead and take a break if you want so you don't have to listen to this <laughs> oh anyway um yeah got home on january 1st and then i'm back out again on this trip on the uh left on the fourth today is the sixth that we're uh, recording on right now and yesterday i had a layover in lexington and i was able to meet up with uh, our big ass fan, Greg Peterson, and uh, we uh, he came downtown to the hotel, picked me up. We went to a nice local taco place and had a great so meal. You have lots of pictures and and audio and stuff. Uh, I'm sorry, are you your your uh, your signal's coming in really broken? I can hardly hear uh-huh. understand what you're saying, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> She's going. So you took lots of pictures and and recorded some audio, Jeff. <laughs> No. Anyway, we had a good time. And Greg, I know you're listening. Sorry, I didn't even think about doing, you know, recording some audio, whatever. But uh, we had a good time. Nice conversation. He's a good friend. So anyway, and then uh, today, here I am in uh, Wichita, Kansas, with another great APG community member, Nick Camacho. Woo-hoo. Woo! Yeah. So, so Nick, what have you uh, done between shows? <laughs> I think it was what twenty twenty when you were on last. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we're going to need to know all the details. Yeah, uh, we don't have to go into. I hope you can remember them all. Each. There's going to be a quiz. <laughs> later. Yeah. What's up with you? Uh, not much. Just uh, getting back to work, kind of getting back into the swing of things after the holidays. Um, I've been working on an extensive uh, maintenance project on my airplane, and I'm like at the finish line of that, hoping to fly in the next week or two. So I'm excited to get that Reminds going again. Reminds me of what kind of airplane you have? I have a beach debonair, oh, yeah. which is a straight tail bonanza, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then hopefully once I get that done, it'll be a year of 
tests and check rides and I got a lot of stuff to try to get caught up on that I haven't been doing the last few years. Upgrading avionics and stuff. Is that what your big project yeah, is? Yeah. I, uh, upgraded avionics. I did some interior work and then, uh, took care of some 60 year old airplane things that I found along the way. Mm. Surprise. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. Very good. That's, uh, that's good. So I was, uh, um, when I found out I was going to be here, I contacted Nick. I said, Hey, if you're around, it'd be great to have you, uh, join us on the show. And so here he is. And yeah, we're glad that you're here and glad that you did. Okay. Um, so normally we go to cover art, but I kind of want Nick to be around and he had to go for a pee. So uh, just a little bit or something or do coffee. Oh, now you want me to talk about something and not do the coffee fund. Okay. It's up to you. Your um, show. It doesn't feel like it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, well, let's see. Yeah, let's do, do the let's do, do the coffee? let's do the coffee fund, and then coffee we'll loop fun. back to the uh, cover art. Okay. Yeah, that's good. All right, here we go. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. <laughs> she does that all the time. And there's latency involved in this whole thing. And Liz is off by like two or three beats. <laughs> yeah. You hate it, don't you? No, I don't. I love it. I never hate anything that you do, Liz. All right. Um, did you just... Sl- oh, yes, you did. It's okay. Yep. Let's the Coffee Fund okay, is on. your way to <laughs> support the show financially. And a couple different ways to do that. Uh, one is called the Coffee Fund Classic Method. And since the last episode, uh, we have Randy Ackerman uh, sending his uh, recurrent donation. Thank you, Randy. And Edwin Melendez uh, sent in a one-time donation. Uh, I met Edwin at the 500 episode celebration in Atlanta. Uh, he's uh, lives in the Orlando area, I believe. Anyway, so thank you, both of you, for your very kind and generous donations to the Coffee Fund. The other way to uh, support the show financially and join the Coffee Fund cadre is through uh, Patreon. You can become a patron of the show. And all that information about the Coffee Fund is available by heading over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did, and we will too. All right. Is okay. Nicholas back? Oh, no, I haven't seen him yet. Oh, i got to vamp uh, some more? Yes, I am, oh, sir. He is, sir. And, um, okay. All right, somebody needs to take us out of solo. There we go. There we go. Thank you. And uh, by the way, I'm now drinking... Guinness with. Huh? <laughs> uh, Guinness. All right. Uh, if for uh, golfers of uh, the St. Andrews links up in Scotland, you know, that famous home of golf, mm-hmm. there's a pub on the edge of the course called the Jigger Inn. Oh. Uh, and um, they will serve you a Guinness with there. And uh, we used to play a game of golf on a freezing winter's night and go in there for a Guinness and it's Guinness with port and if you've never tried it give it a go it's really quite delicious how much port do you put in there Um, I'm I'm asking him in the middle of his sip just just a measure 
No, okay. just a just a normal glass of port. Oh, that sounds good. In it is. It sounds is. I tell dangerous. you what, a couple of those. <laughs> a couple of those you can't yeah, drive home. You should read the Shimmy Damper article. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. In fact, it, it, it's really nice if you've got sore feet because you spend the rest of the day walking about six inches above the ground. It's very clever. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a feeling that he's making all this up? Yeah. No, I don't, it's true. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's true. It's true. Okay, so it's cover true. art. Cover art. I'm okay. I'm going to find you a... a so with. we were we were trying to talk about the cover art, uh, Nick, but you decided to uh, take a break and do the Guinness with thing. All uh, right, instead. okay. Uh, but uh, here we are. We've, we're displaying the cover art for our episode number five zero three, the Boeing McDoug bus. You it's like that, funny. Did you? Yeah, it's <laughs> a is, great airplane. Yeah, it is. It's an unusual. Um, looking airplane it's a, a one-of-a-kind it is uh yeah yeah like it's got some strange modifications required to keep the tail up but uh, yeah that's like the osprey yeah. uh in engines yeah. it looks like uh, they have on the yeah, yeah back v2 of... yes absolutely okay. and uh, it's got a hot air balloon or an airship i should say with some kind of uh, naval uh, boat slung on its belly <laughs> i'm not quite sure why it's there but like an it looks ship good down there yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it looks really good. Yeah. It almost looks like and a train I, I engine the, on yeah. that um, on that bolt yeah. hole. And I, yeah. And I love the Swiss um, uh, whatever that thing is on top. That's that's uh, great. What is that? Thing? Think, it's like a space shuttle. Well, yeah, it's a space shuttle. Can't decide whether it's Swiss shuttle, or American. But then what, that's the they grafted, it looks like they grafted the a Boeing nose on a space shuttle. Yeah, well, that's that's I normal. Think that's a perfect mm. nose for a space shuttle, don't you? <laughs> yeah, it's a seven thirty-seven fuselage. Yeah. Uh, yeah, front. Yeah. Well, just and the front of it, and then yeah. the. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I had fun doing that one. That was that's a good that one. Was kind of yeah, good. it is a great one. A lot one. of commentary on it. A lot and I've of, spotted uh, the uh, episode number. Yeah, that was a tough oh, one, wasn't it? Oh, well done. Yeah, I, I didn't hide it. Liz is the expert. <laughs> Yeah. I was hey, nice let me have know. my victories where they where I can. Okay. <laughs> good job, <laughs> Steph. You found it. <laughs> yeah. Good job. Good job. Yay. Good job. Yay. Good job. But I've already got the uh, I've already got the artwork sorted for next week, so don't don't worry, guys. Oh, excuse me. Oh, so we don't have to think of a title. So for... no, you all have to send me headshots, but including Nick. So. Um, well, just take a uh, screen grab of the video mm, right now, and you've got Jeff's. No, not, not, yeah, well, I, I can just cut him out, don't worry. I'm going to, going to just cut him out. But uh, it would be nice to have some amusing headshots uh, because, of course, if you were, your head was actually floating along, you might have a weird expression on your face. I always have so a weird expression on my face. So give me some good quality, good, <laughs> some good quality selfies, please. Okay. I'm sure we'll get more direction. Including Nick. After the show. And uh, Rick, of course. Someone get Rick. Uh Rick! To do one, please. Good Rick! Luck with that. Yeah. Where's Rick? Where the heck is he? I uh, uh, like one with a sty. Still supervising Oops. the jackhammer. <laughs> okay. Probably. Yeah. Yes, oh, no, there he comes. The there he is. Sty. Oh, oh, there oh, he is. Oh, we should have known. <laughs> Rick is still uh, ironing that same shirt. Okay. Uh, it's it's almost yeah. wrinkle-free. No, you'd think it's the same shirt. It's actually, he's got like... A thousand. Of the oh, same shirt. that's so, oh, no wonder. It's he's a very long, never-ending task. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Rick, can you tell us? A, what was that? Can, you say it again. We we didn't I hear you. I missed that, Rick. You turn your say microphone on. No, it's not on. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> 
Uh, we're not having good communications today <laughs> with really us. Always, it's always amusing. <laughs> <laughs> that never gets old. No, never. Okay, that's the signal from Liz that it's time for us to move on. <laughs> she gave a visual signal as no, well. No, she here. just goes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> No, she put the feedback uh, oh, yeah. well, thing up if on you're the screen. If you happen to be looking at that, sure. Okay, here we go. Captain, incoming message. All right, feedback time. And we're going to start with, not this one, this one uh, from Keith. And uh, we had some feedback from him last episode, in fact. And he followed up by saying, greetings, APG hosts. It appears there was a lot of confusion over the sport pilot certificate from my last feedback aired on episode 503. Now, I think the source of most of that confusion comes from Steph. We have to blame her. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, to be fair, to if I hadn't asked the question. That's true. It's, yeah, it's I wasn't, I wasn't uh, you know thinking I was going to have to talk about that yeah, at all. I know. And no, I none of us clearly, I should have just said, you know what? I haven't thought about that in years, so I don't know. But yeah. Well, you know what? I thought I could I could source the information a lot more quickly than it I actually did. So we'll just let Keith talk about Keith it. Keith is here to the rescue, Steph. Yes. He says, Thank I want goodness. to provide some context as to why I chose this certificate and not the standard PPL. Plus, let listeners know more about this accessible alternative to the private pilot certificate. I actually started by training at a standard flight school for my private pilot certificate, but just before completing the paperwork for my class three medical, I learned that medication I take for ADHD would make me automatically ineligible. This was disheartening, to say the least. A friend then told me about the light sport category, and after some quick research, learned that the certificate only requires a valid driver's license with no medical. And then he puts in parentheses, the FAA is sneaky, though, and if you've been denied a medical, you basically can't fly LSA either. That is true. That is sneaky. Uh, some more research, and I found a flying club at a nearby airport with a Cessna 162. I didn't even know that existed, actually. It's a skycatcher. Oh. Yeah, they're actually pretty neat little uh, okay. little airplanes. Interesting. A Cessna 162 and an awesome sport pilot certified instructor. Next week, I should be ready for my first solo. There are some phenomenal aircraft available in the LSA category, including the Technum P-2008 Cessna 162 Bristol 915 and the Piper Sport Sport Cruiser, to name a few. Full glass cockpits, high wing, low wing, tail draggers, you name it. Sure, I'm limited to VFR daytime flying and one passenger only, but I figure most of my flying would be in these conditions anyway. That's actually true when you think about most GA flying. That's uh-huh. typically as much as you so normally just do. You and one other person. Yeah. You know? And uh, interestingly, there, wait, excuse me, uh, but I figure most of the flying would be in these conditions anyway. And I, hey, I get to fly. Interestingly, there is a big push on the FAA to expand what types of aircraft can be considered LSA, including increasing the weight and horsepower limits, which could eventually allow someone with a sport pilot certificate to fly planes such as a Cessna 172 or a Piper Cherokee. I've included a link to a great article on the status of this proposed expansion and he says thank you as always for an awesome and informative show can't wait every week for the next installment keith from little rock and now he gave us a link to this uh, article from 
General Aviation News, and it is uh, written, uh, by, excuse me, uh, by um, Dan Johnson. I mean, Don Johnson. Um, <laughs> Don wait Johnson. <laughs> um, hang on. Wait a minute. Let me look. No, it's Dan Johnson. My bad. Not Don Johnson. Um, from General Aviation News. Thank you. Thank you for laughing. Um, it, uh, you'll, you'll have to watch the video, folks, uh, to see why we're laughing. Um, it's, uh, it's a pity laugh. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. but, so I can't tell the difference, Nick, because that's uh, what I usually get. That's what you're used to. Yeah, that's what I'm used to. Okay. Now that was a real laugh, that one. Okay, good. I'll have to listen back in the recording to see if I can discern the difference. You're leaning way out of the shot oh, there, Jeff. get back in the shot, Jeff. Okay, yeah. sorry. I guess when we go into this view, it kind of reduces the... A little the, narrower. Yeah. yeah. Okay, um, here, let me move this over. I'm sorry, Nick, if I'm getting too close to you. Close to you. Don't get so close to me. Oh, that's a good one, too. Yeah, that's, yeah don't stand so close to me. Yeah. Whatever. It seems like years since pilot. Oh, is it? <laughs> okay. Uh, since pilots began talking about the FAA's new regulation for light sport aircraft called Mosaic or modernization of special airworthiness certification. Mosaic. That's Ooh. pretty cool. As 2021 closes, it doesn't feel so far away anymore. Of course, this was written last year. Here's an update on what we know with a disclaimer that everything is subject to change until the FAA finalizes its work. One aspect of Mosaic that is often overlooked, partly as the new proposal is often called by its abbreviated name, uh, the word special. This refers to the airworthiness certificates given to specific classes of airplanes, including warbirds, experimental amateur built, light sport aircraft, and perhaps the biggest group that we may be welcoming into our airspace, drones, unmanned aerial systems, and EVTOLs, or multicopters, or whatever you prefer to call them. For clarification, Cessna, Piper, Cirrus, Mooney, and others have standard category certificates, not special. Not special. Mosaic is a big, sprawling regulation, but as always, my focus remains on light sport aircraft and the kit-built aircraft that sport pilots fly. Um, nearby, you'll see an information pack slide that was shown as part of a presentation from the FAA given to LSA industry leaders at the uh, Experimental Aircraft Association AirVenture Oshkosh 2021. The slide is only one of several FAA officials presented, but this one has this slide is only one of several that FAA officials presented. But this one has so much detail that it's worth a closer review. And Liz is putting that up in the screen right now. Concepts for expanding part 21.190. And uh, we'll have that in the show notes for you to peruse. And uh, you can study it yourself and interpret the information for yourself. But allow the Dan, not Don, Johnson to uh, suggest a few items of particular interest and address some commonly asked questions. Uh, and I'm not going to read the entire article here. We'll leave that for you to do. But um, I thought this was very I actually thought this was a very interesting article and a lot of information that I didn't realize regarding the uh light sport uh, aircraft category and how the FAA is considering expanding the weight uh, limitations and um, uh, the types of airplane and that, that sort of thing in, in the future. And it looks like it's, it's pretty, it's pretty a sure thing. Is that what you're hearing uh, Nick C? Yeah. So I, you know, I think a couple of things that you need to, or, I mean, I think a couple of 
the bedrocks of the sport pilot and light sport thing is there's a pilot certification aspect of it, which is a sport pilot, which is what the listener was talking about. And there's also light sport aircraft, which is a certification basis for the airplanes and they kind of work hand in hand. But the idea, you know, the idea was, like you said, to give lower capability airplanes, um, give people an opportunity to fly lower capability airplanes with lower restrictions. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think a lot of the frustration with, um, the existing system is we just kind of something similar exists over in the UK, Nick. I don't know what the, I don't know if it's called a sport pilot over in Europe, but, um, uh, I'm not the guy to ask uh, quite honestly, I've been out of that environment for so long. I don't know the details, but I can look it up for you next week if you'd like. Okay. I, I just know that we basically just adopted their rules. And one of their rules was, you know, the limit on LSA airplanes and, and also, um, the sport pilot certificate, um, the limit is 1,320 pounds of gross weight, which is a weird number until you realize it is equivalent to 600 kilograms. So I came over from Europe uh-huh. and, um, so a lot of people were pretty frustrated with that. It kind of, um, hamstrung the effort from the beginning because it disqualified Cessna 150s, Cessna 152s, Piper Cherokees, 172s, airplanes like that, mm-hmm. that are not necessarily more challenging to fly. Um, but, uh, kind of limited the uh, options for people getting sport pilot licenses. So the, the intent here is to kind of make a more, um, make a, I don't know, common sense rule is such a kind of catchphrase thing to say, but they're trying to, they're trying to rewrite the rule in a way that uh, takes advantage of those airplanes. So that, you know, the things that I've heard them talking about is, making the limitation based on some sort of equation with the stall speed of the airplane, gross weight of the airplane, a few of those factors so that, you know, if you, you're holding them to a lower, lower medical standard, I guess the concern is if you have a medical event, you know, a medical event in a 1260 pound Luscombe versus a medical event in a 1500 pound Cessna 150 are probably gonna have pretty similar outcomes to mm-hmm. the person in the airplane and mm-hmm. the people on the ground. Um, so the real concern is, you know, when you start going up in capability and speed and systems and, and stuff like that. So I think they're trying to rework it to take more advantage of those airplanes. Makes sense. There was a nice uh, phrase in here in the article, I think, that talked about keeping light sport aircraft light and docile. And I think yeah. a lot of us would agree that, like you said, the 152, 172, um, some of the Piper Cherokees kind of fall in that light and docile category in terms of how they maneuver and can be handled. Yep. Speed wise. Yeah. And yeah. 10 or, you know, 10 or 15 years ago when this rule came about, one of the ideas was that it would, it'd be a cheaper way to get into aviation. Both it has lower entry requirements from piloting, training. from the piloting mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah. Training and everything. But also it's a new certification class of airplanes. It's actually certified under ASTM standards versus FAA standards. Um, but, you know, the fact of the matter is a light sport airplane, a new airplane uh, is going to cost you six figures, whether it's. Um, yeah. A champ, you know, they're building new champs for a while, new Luscombs, that Cessna 162 Skycatcher, which is essentially a modernized 150 when you look at it. Mm-hmm. Those airplanes were, um, I think they were marketed at 180 and they ended up being a little over 200. Hmm. So they're not very capable airplanes, but it's just the cost of everything that goes into new airplanes from the parts and the labor, product liability is a significant impact yeah. on them. It, it didn't really have the intended consequence of lowering the entry cost for newer airplanes. 
Hmm. Yeah, I think the the whole idea was get more people into general aviation, right? And I'm yeah. not sure that that really happened on that end of the spectrum. True. Yeah, and then and then you know um, subsequently they passed the uh, um, basic med. Oh, basic med, which yeah. kind of does a similar thing. You have to pass one medical, but it kind of does a similar thing where it takes it out of the AME's hands and puts it back in the pilot's hands in terms of making more decisions on your airworthiness. So, okay. Sure. Uh, one of the questions here which, was... Which is an interesting area to put it, because the motivation for a pilot to self-declare uh, their uh, unfitness um, is you know, questionable at times. Uh, and the same would be said if uh, they did their own maintenance on their own aircraft. Uh, some people would be meticulous, others would not, uh, because they would just want to do it inexpensively and just want to go fly. So, um, you know, when you start talking about weight categories that an aircraft can cause a significant amount of damage and can carry a passenger while they're doing it, uh, I, I still question, I, I in my own mind, would question um, the ability of a pilot to self-assess sure. their medical state and to self um, maintain their aircraft, for example. So I think I see this moving into an area that is currently quite well regulated and stopping a lot of those regulations having effect. I, I think the counter to that is the way that our medical system works, at least here in the United States, um, a significant number of the issues that you'll see are often not going to be caught by the medical system, right? I mean, Dr. Steph would be better to talk about this than I would, but a lot of the You're talking about wouldn't be caught by, by the AME necessarily. Right. Um, so in my instance... Yeah, it's, it's, it's better off, you know, and here again, you're kind of assuming that um, these folks have a primary care provider, G, a GP that they're established with who knows their history. Right. Um, that's an entirely different can of worms. But if you're, if you're that person who, you know, has been established with a primary care provider, someone who knows your medical problems, knows how long you've had those issues, knows what types of medications you take for it, knows how well those issues are controlled, they could very well speak towards, you know, your ability to safely, from a medical standpoint, pilot a general aviation aircraft that is light and docile. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you're just checking a box, right? In, in my case, mm -hmm. um, I have to get a medical once every five years. So I'm only seeing that doctor every... 1600 days anyway so i would and it's argue probably not your regular medical doctor anyway it, oh yeah absolutely not and yeah. uh and so i would argue you know at the end of the day it still comes down to a pilot making a decision themselves on the air on their airworthiness um from a medical standpoint you know i'm sure that if you broke down the the uh incidents you know, it might go up slightly if you're talking about one day out from a medical examination with an AME versus one month out versus one year out. But I think at the end of the day, a pilot is going to uh, have to make that decision regardless of the uh, regulations. Yeah, that's part of your, you know, aeronautical uh, decision making process. Are you safe and able to go out and fly an aircraft? You know, that's there was that whole. I'm safe checklist that the mm -hmm. FAA was, was pretty big on for a couple of years, probably still are. Um, but basically just going through an internal checklist of, Hey, am I fatigued? Have I been using substances I shouldn't be using? Am I, am I sick in any way? Am I in the right mental state of mind? There's a lot of things that go into it that they want you personally to be cognizant of. And if, if you find that there's issues, then, you know, get the treatment you need before you get behind a, or get into an aircraft. 
I'm a great believer personally of uh, peer groups, peer pressure, peer monitoring. Um, and so I'm I'm all in favour of people getting access to aviation. I'm that's not the point I'm making. What I'm trying to make is that people need to be very responsible about how they assess themselves and um, cutting corners to sort of by uh, cut you know to short circuit that um only works if you're a bit of a a, a loner if you're in a group of people who who monitor each other and advise each other and are friendly and uh, are willing to say to a friend uh, you you know you really shouldn't be flying with that medication or um you know you, you, you sound like you've got a cold are you, are you right to fly today i think that personally that is the the best way to uh, really do this sometimes the individual can be under all sorts of personal uh, or you know pressure just oh, i really need to get to see my mate 200 miles away i'm gonna fly yeah uh, and he sure. needs a friend to uh, yep. to pull him short up short i mean clubs i think are fantastic in this and i think steph would agree me with me because i think in the uh, jumping world almost everyone is a member of a club and they they jump together and they know each other and they would say something if they thought one of their friends wasn't uh didn't they didn't think they were fit to jump that day Oh yeah, most definitely, and and they can be a good source of like um, just casual conversation about it too, where there's not a lot of the pressure or concern. Oh, hey, if I talk to so and so about this, I'm going to not be able to fly for the long term because it's going to impact my medical or my ability to do so. Um, but if you just casually to mention mention to someone, oh yeah, you know, I had a bit of a sinus issue last week, but it really kind of seems like it clears up. Perhaps that person says hey, that happened to me the other week and I thought it was better and then it wasn't. And, you know, I had a lot of ear trouble related to it or sinus pressure related to it. Maybe you should, you know, really give it another couple of days and just make sure, um, you know, just as a, a very easy example, just that kind of casual conversation can really make you, um, you know, just reevaluate the the choices you're making in that moment and make sure that they're, they're the correct ones. Um, you know, I can I can always argue this type of thing from both both sides. At the end of the day, people are people, and they're driven by all kinds of um, motivating factors, both internally, externally, both good and bad. Um, I would I would argue that in the case of people who have um, spent a lot of time and money and effort to um, obtain a pilot certificate, um, in general, they're not going to want to do things that are going to jeopardize that or themselves or others. Um, and I think those can be very strong motivating factors to make sure that you're doing the right things when it comes to maintaining your own health and maintaining your your certificates, whether that's your medical or your your licensure. Yeah. And I, I think looking at the light sport pilot thing, it you can almost look at it like a progression. You know, in the FAA, I think they did some things wrong with the light sport at the beginning. Um, you know, like you said, if you you can if you know you have a problem where you can't pass, a, pass an FAA medical, you can let it lapse and then fly on your driver's license. That's the only requirement for light sport is that you have a valid driver's license. Um, and so that actually drove a lot of guys away from going to the doctor and getting medicals because they're like, well, if I don't go, at least I'll be able to fly these little airplanes. Now with basic med, you know, they basically got another crack at it. You're going to the doctor more often because you have to do it either every year or two years. Um, there's some recurring online training happening. So I think like Steph said, I think it's a little more interactive. Um, you're dealing with a doctor that knows you better. Um, and there's 
there's some FAA interaction as far as the um, online, you know, there's online modules that you have to take and, and do to make sure you're aware of things that you should be um, paying attention to or things you should be aware of that might uh, affect your ability to operate the airplane that you don't get if you just go get a medical every three years or five years and you have 15 minutes or 30 minutes with a doctor and he's just trying to run you through there and get paid. So oh, I've never heard of anything yeah, like you that. you make some good points. <laughs> <laughs> you make some great I, points. I will say there. there are some fantastic, uh, and, and the vast majority, I would argue, are great aviation medical oh, yeah, examiners. Totally. I didn't, through a lot of, been, no, 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 I know you're not saying that. I just want to, you know, just, just say that they're, they exist for a reason because they have very specific training for um, aeromedical concerns mm-hmm. and they are still... Um, even if it's not your regular doctor, if you're seeing them every five years, they may bring up things that you hadn't considered that are important to know about. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily things that will jeopardize your medical certificate, but things that you should be aware of and thinking of. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> Tornado coming through. My drone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go take care of my drone. You're, right? you're launching a drone in your, in your uh, studio. Oh, I know. <laughs> Is that your Zumba? Yeah. <laughs> I got a, a new a new Roomba and it has the um, self um, emptying feature because I was tired of always oh. having to like, yeah. It um, really is a just, robot. Vacuum. So for a very ridiculous amount of money, your your vacuum robot that you don't have to do anything with and set on a schedule will also empty itself. Okay. <laughs> and this one has a camera, so it will avoid um, things that you really don't want it to run over, like. Like pet dog. accidents yeah. and yeah. yeah 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 there might have been some uh motivating factors how for does this it empty itself <laughs> it's a, uh, it has a base that it? has that is also attached to another little vacuum like a trash can it, under it or something yeah but it's got like okay. a little trash can attached to the base hmm. and that's what that was it's, it's yeah <laughs> i love it <laughs> i hate that thing wow it's- this modern world we're living in. Huh? We're finding out <laughs> I, so much about. I mean, stuff, I could huh? be I could be spending time right now vacuuming my house, or spending time with you fine folks. I, I know you'd but rather why, be vacuuming, not, but thank you. Why for, not do both? <laughs> yeah, why well, not do both? Yeah. Rick's ironing, so why shouldn't Steph be vacuuming? Is it, do they make a robot iron for, <laughs> for Rick? That sounds like a good show title, actually. Uh, Rick robot ironing iron. and Steph vacuuming. Uh, I'm sorry, I've got my show title. Uh, uh, trying to get out of the darn. <laughs> assignment that i have yeah (laughs) okay uh well you know you're doing the slides for this next one jeff i am thank you liz uh so great discussion by the way uh spurred by keith and uh talking about uh light sport aircraft uh ratings and uh basic med and such and if you want to learn more we just kind of you know got a little taste of this article from uh, general aviation news and written by don johnson uh formerly of Miami Vice. Um, so uh, we'll have that in the show notes. Uh, but I think we should uh, move on with this. Now, we talked about this uh, accident, this crash in our last episode, the uh, Learjet that crashed in El Cajon. You need to take a break? No, I'm good. Okay. Um, yeah, the San Diego area. It's got a bladder the size of a horse. Well, um I'm thinking I'm getting thirsty myself, but uh, we'll 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 put it off a little bit longer here. My beverage is empty. Yeah. Is it? Oh, you'll you only got sorry. about ten. You only got about ten minutes till the plane. No, well, no, we can wait no, till no, the plane. No, no, no. We're gonna go on till till plane tails. Okay. Soldier on. I thought we were gonna go ahead and take a break. Okay. Uh, Doctor Dan sent us some feedback regarding. And in fact, while we were, uh, what 
covering this news item in the last episode. Uh, Dr. Dan was in our live audience. He may actually be in our audience today. I'm not sure. I haven't seen him today. Okay, you haven't seen him today. Um, but he mentioned while we were covering this live that uh, he lived nearby in uh, the El Cajon area. And uh, so we had said he would follow up and send us some feedback. And he did send us some audio feedback regarding this. And uh, so let's hear what Dr. Dan has to say about this uh, Learjet crash. Hey, PG crew, Dr. Dan here. Uh, like I said last week in the chat room, I wanted to just give a little feedback on to the Learjet crash here in uh, San Diego, California. Um, just a little bit of insight. Gillespie Field kind of sits in a valley between a bunch of hills. And within a, a mile or so, there are some significant uh, hills. I'm not going to call them mountains because they're not. But there are some significant hills surrounding Gillespie Field. Um, and it's part of the reason why the minimums are so high into this airport. Um, you look at the uh, minimums for uh, runway 17, which is the approach that this crew took into Gillespie. Um, and they're, you know, 1,360 feet for the minimums um, into runway 17. And even the localizer D, which would get you into 27 right, um, you know, minimums for, I'm not sure if they're, you know, a, B, or C, but they're either 1,500 or 1,940 feet, um, which is probably the reason that they, they tried to come in um, the way that they did. Um, I guess uh, the reason they chose 17 was so they get underneath the clouds and, uh, you know, they wanted to cancel IFR and circle around to 27 right, and I assume the only reason to do that is is because um, circling to 27 right is not available at night, according to the plate. And the reason for that um, is only partially made clear on the approach plate. Um, I sent Liz a couple of pictures, so if she can put those up. Um, this, is, this is daylight looking at the two hills that you have to go between uh, on final for 27 right. This picture is kind of taken on a base leg, I guess. Um, for 27 right um, or left, whatever one you wanted to land at. Um, the hill on the right has a peak of 1,273 feet. The peak on the left is just over 800 feet. Um, and so I can only imagine looking at the uh, ADSB data when this Learjet comes in. It didn't look like after he made his circling approach that he ever got above 800 feet. And so I can imagine that when he's asking for the lights to be turned up, it's because he's got a mountain in between him and the runway, and he probably doesn't see the runway and doesn't realize how low he is, even though they were familiar with the airport. Uh, this picture was taken um, pretty close to where he flew over. Like I said uh, last week, I was about two blocks away from the crash site, which is just behind uh, the palm trees that you can see in between the two hills. Um, and he overflew just to the right of where I'm standing. Um, so this was pretty much his view. If you switch to the, the nighttime picture, um, this was pretty much his view of approaching into the airport, you know, obviously a little bit higher, but... Um, 
those mountains are pretty hard to see, and the weather actually in this picture is a little bit better than it was the night of the crash. The night of the crash, I think METAR was ceilings reported at 2,000, and ceilings reported in this picture are 2,500. Uh, but you can see how those clouds are starting to come down in between the two hills. Um, and this is pretty typical of this area when we get clouds, which isn't very often. Um, but I can only imagine coming around, losing sight of the runway, not seeing what's in front of you until you realize that the runway's coming around and uh, you've got hills in front of you and there's no way you're getting over them. Um, but I hope that uh, hope that this um, gives a little bit more insight as to you know exactly what happened and where it happened and, and why it happened because these guys are circling around a, a hill that you're not supposed to do at night. Um, unfortunately, you know, there's plenty of airports with lots longer runways that are not too far of a drive. Within 20 minutes, we've got two pretty decent airports um, with a lot bigger runways. And it's just a tragedy that this had to happen. Um, anyways, talk to you guys next time. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Dr. Dan. Great, uh, great feedback regarding this uh, this terrible tragedy. And uh, Nick and uh, Nick, too, and I were discussing this before we started today's recording. And you had mentioned that you had uh, seen some conversation on a an aviation forum that you follow. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, there's a online forum called Beach Talk that I'm a part of. Uh, and there's a lengthy discussion on that. And it's, you know, those are always interesting for me because I don't have any experience in um, fast movers or jets. So it's interesting to get uh, a lot of experienced guys perspective on what was going on there. But, um, you know, it just seems like one of those things where they, they might've been able, they might've been doing everything right by the letter of the law, but you look at all the things that would make your, the hair stand up on the back of your neck as you're, if you were in that airplane, you know, in hindsight now seeing everything that they would have had to accomplish to get that airplane on the ground. And it's pretty, uh, it's, uh, it would be a very challenging feat. Well, didn't you just say that one of the uh, people in the forum, or they knew about some, they knew someone who flew a, a Cub, I think? Yeah, uh, someone had posted a video, basically posted a video oh. of flying onto that, you know, flying the pattern for that runway in the daytime in a slow moving airplane, a tailwheel airplane of like a Satabi or something. And it's, uh, you know, it's not uh, unnerving in an airplane moving that slow, but it's very easy to see how you can. Uh, you know, during the day, you're pointed straight at that hill or mountain, um, whatever Dr. Dan was referring to, um, for a period of time while you're maneuvering towards, you know, final. And it's not a big deal when you're moving 70 or 80 knots and you can see everything. But then when you take into account the fact that they were, you know, moving a lot faster, their turn radius was going to be a lot bigger because of that. Um, it's night, so you don't have the same um, perspective of all the things around you. You know, you're limited to items that are going to have lights on it. Um, there's a lot of those factors that go into it that make it, um, that seem like they drive up the uh, level of difficulty so quickly. Yeah. Very challenging. And that Learjet, you know, and that wing and the speed at which you have to fly the thing uh, to, uh, you know, prevent from it from stalling. Uh, it's, it's, it's very challenging uh, airplane. I've never flown the Learjet, but I've heard it's a very challenging airplane yeah. to fly. Yeah. And, you know, just the just the general idea of they're flying a, uh, 
flying a circle land approach, you know, you guys always talk about having very stabilized approaches and, and all this and all that, you know, and it's, that's just the complexity of that's just increased, right? Because a lot of times you're going to circle to a different runway or you're not getting dropped right in, you know, right in the barrel of having a really good stabilized approach. You're going to have to do something in the airplane, maneuver in the airplane. Now this was their home airport. So you would think that they'd have a little more um, muscle memory or a little more background on it, but still at the end of the day, you know, they're getting dropped at a point near the airport and they have to do a significant amount of maneuvering of the airplane to get it, you know, down onto that short final point versus, you know, most instrument approaches they're flying in that airplane where they have very low maneuvering and very straight. Um, right. Usually the paths runway is like right, right in yeah. front of you, you know, and yeah. everything is all nice and stabilized all the way down. Yeah. Good right. point. That's a nice yeah, segue. You make to some the... great point. Okay. Sorry, Steph, you go ahead. Yeah. We're probably not finished talking about this one, but that's a nice segue to the next uh, story in the list. If we're going to do that before plane tails. Okay. In terms of stabilized approaches. Why don't we hear okay, what, uh, I'll just say that uh, you, you're quite right, Nick. And um, w- when you're not used to doing uh, these kind of mixed visual instrument approaches because it's uh, it's night, and you, when you're doing an established one that you might have done before, a proper circling approach, that's kind of a different matter. You you kind of got lots of keys to hit on the on your way around. You you're flying it mostly on instruments and you're only relying on your your visual aspects when you're setting up for the final part of the approach perhaps uh, half around finals you're you're lining up the runway visually a lot of that is done uh, in my experience uh, in my type of flying um on instruments uh, on on a pattern that you've already thought out briefed and have set up keys for um if you're not if you're not doing a circling a proper circling approach and you're kind of half doing a halfway house you're sort of inventing something on the night that is not, it is legal but perhaps not quite as well thought out as a proper circling approach uh, you can lead yourself into the, this kind of situation where you're flying well below the altitude you should be for the terrain uh, but you're not really doing it with the planning that you should do. Uh, and that, to me, is the essential part of it. Yeah. And I think an obvious obvious point to that, if you, uh, uh, if anybody listened to the audio, the ATC audio of it, is when that pilot says, hey, you need to turn the landing lights, you need to turn the runway lights on or turn them up. Yeah. I don't remember what he said. said Should have been a big cue for him. You know, that, that yeah. either means they flew yeah. into a cloud or they're on the yep. other side of the mountain. And both of those seem pretty terrifying at 140 Absolutely. knots or how Absolutely. fast they're going. I, I know a captain friend of mine who uh, failed his line check one year doing uh, an approach into Athens. He was miles out. I mean, like 40 miles out. And he had decided he was going to do a visual approach because it was a beautiful night. And um, he had forgotten that between him and the airport, there was a ridgeline. And uh, he effectively put himself in a position where at 40 miles, he had dropped below. He he had let let the angle of his flight path put that ridgeline between him and the airport. And he just couldn't see it. Uh, he was just so used to doing that now, and he'd done it lots of times. And this night, he let himself get a little bit low, and now there was a piece of, you know, Mother Earth between him and where he wanted to be. And the blind check captain looked at him and said, you know, what are you doing? Um, why are we continuing this descent when mm-hmm. there's a piece of concrete between or a piece of rock between us and the airport? Um, so, you know, he had to completely rethink the way he operated the airplane because he 
worked himself into a situation where he was used to doing this approach mm-hmm. and no one had picked him up on it. Yeah. Yeah, the mm. night visual approaches are very dangerous, especially if you're flying oh, yeah. somewhere where you are you don't fly into very often. And it's so yeah. easy to kind of go, okay, you're cleared the visual approach and just dial in the final approach fix altitude without considering yeah. the fact that there might be a lot of terrain around that you can't see if it's a dark night, not in a moonlit night. It's Yeah, it's very dangerous. And I've heard many, many cases Absolutely. of this sort of thing happening. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We're at two hours, Jeff, but if you want to go on. Yeah, let's go ahead and uh, do this one, uh, Liz, since uh, we're talking about unstabilized approaches. Uh, Got a little video that Steven sent in, and he said, uh, do you call this a (laughs) stable approach? He says, not what I would expect to see, especially at a difficult airport. And here we go. We're going to show you this right now. Madeira, airport spotting. Uh, Nice. 737 on approach, I believe. Jet 2 brand at Madeira. Have some Madeira, Madeira. (laughs) And uh, looks all nice and stable and coming down. Now, some of this might have something to do with the camera angle and the uh, shortening uh, effect. Yeah, foreshortening or... Whatever. Shrinkage. Whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> it's, just, it's just the camera angle, dear. Yes. You're, you're not looking at the right angle. <laughs> uh, and so anyway, he's look, it, it almost – I can't tell here if he's doing S-turns or he or she is doing S-turns to lose some altitude because it does look sort of steep. Or if it's just that they overshot right a little bit. Right on that center line. <laughs> yeah, pretty close. Yeah. Close enough. Yeah, close enough. Yeah. Lined up with it anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. So of course, you know the 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 video that we're watching here doesn't really have any uh, narration. Uh, so we invite you to uh, watch the video yourself. We'll have a link to the YouTube video. But I, you know, honestly, it's hard for me to say that that anything was really that unusual about this approach uh, because we really don't have the data that shows what the what the descent path angle was or anything in this because as i said sometimes uh the uh, the lens of a camera will will play tricks uh, on what you're actually viewing here yes dear it's the camera uh, the, that's the problem <laughs> that's what john jeremy said <laughs> oh he didn't have to actually that's what his um person said. yeah so uh any any uh comments regarding this approach i thought it was horrible it made me sick to my stomach he should have gone around there you go yeah i it, you know i <laughs> i'd love to say that i i never make any mistakes or never do anything i shouldn't do but i you know i've overshot the runway mm-hmm. the the base to final turn um i think the concern here is that the guy it seemed like the guy overshot it and like you said he overcorrected to the other side of the runway and it and it was mm-hmm. about it wasn't an overshoot it was like two or three oscillations and it mm-hmm. seemed like after that first mistake maybe you uh once you overshoot the second you say, time you, know you pack what? it in let's, and say let's, let's try, try this again, again. yeah, <laughs> yeah. but it wasn't as bad as that uh, air canada triple seven incident at hong kong <laughs> i would say no, no. 
No, yeah, we've, seen, I, we've seen some I, other ones in you know interesting parts of the world with challenging runways. Oh yeah, the uh, there's a seven Air China seven four going into the old Kai Tak airport. Oh, that's that uh, hideous. You know, it, it's titled <laughs> "Real Men Don't Go Around." Uh, you know, which was kind of the attitude back in the seventies. But uh, mm-hmm. we hope we all got past that. But uh, but I'm I'm still bemused why he flew so far through the center line on the first on the first attempt to to turn onto the centre line. Because it wasn't that big a turn. Uh, and no, I'm beginning I... to wonder whether Nick might be right, whether he's decided he's going to do an S-turn. Having decided to do that, he didn't do the S-turn very well. So they were I'm not going, well executed Ooh. S-turns. <laughs> no, like, oh, we're, we're a little tight here for all... You know what, just, just do a couple S-turns and we'll be fine on our distance. And... Uh... Okay. Yeah. Well, you've heard the uh, yeah. opinions of our esteemed aviators on the panel here, and I'll just say, hey, look pretty, pretty, look pretty good to me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's now time for this. I'm an armchair pilot nowadays, so don't take anything I say. It looked pretty much like a normal approach for me. So uh, let's not move on. Say anything about my normal approaches, but <laughs> yeah. for for the type of operation that this is, I am not. Uh, I was not overly impressed either. Okay. So, oh well. Yeah. Yeah, let's move on then with uh, this week's installment of the Old Pilot's Plane Tales, and it's entitled Flight 574 and the Banning of Indonesia. The Old Pilot's Plane Tales, Flight 574 and the Banning of Indonesia. It was New Year's Day 2007 and the 96 passengers booked on Adam Air Flight 574 from Java to Sulawesi boarded their Boeing 737-4Q8 for their two-hour trip. The airline had a habit of describing its aircraft as new, but this 737 had been manufactured 18 years previously and had flown with Dan Air, British Airways, GB Airways, Trans-Aero, the WFB TV station, Air One and Jet Airways, before being taken on by the growing airline Adam Air. Seven years previously, the Indonesian government had adopted a policy of deregulation in the country's aviation industry, which had resulted in a boom of start-up airlines, many of which were low-cost carriers. This decision wasn't matched with an equivalent ramp-up of government supervision and control. The result was fierce commercial competition amongst the new airlines with little or no oversight. Unsurprisingly, the cost and corner-cutting that inevitably occurred resulted in a steep rise in accident and incident rates, which were often attributed to poor maintenance. Adamair was one such new airline, and it had been winning the race as Indonesia's fastest-growing low-cost carrier, although it offered a level of service that was a little above the bare-bones fare that was usually expected. Whilst the onboard service might have been good, behind the hangar doors things weren't quite so rosy its pilots repeatedly reporting deliberate breaches of safety regulations and they were frequently pressured into taking aircraft that were in a poor mechanical state. 
The Associated Press quoted one pilot as saying that every time he flew he had to fight with the ground staff and management about all the regulations you had to violate. He also said that pilots who confronted their seniors were usually grounded or docked pay. The list of safety misdemeanors was long. Personnel were required to sign documents to allow aircraft to fly while not having the authority to do so, knowing that the plane was not airworthy or both. Indeed, one aircraft flew illegally for months with a damaged door handle and another with a damaged window. Faulty parts were frequently swapped around the fleet to deliberately avoid mandatory repair deadlines, and pilots were ordered to exceed their legal limit of five flights a day. Most pilots who joined the airline when it formed soon left over safety concerns, and as a result they had a large and quick turnover of employees. Unaware of any of this, the passengers of Flight 574 climbed onto their aircraft, oblivious of the fact that the very aircraft they were boarding had been subject to numerous maintenance faults in its recent history. In the preceding few months, the captain's vertical speed indicator had been written up by the pilots 52 times, and the inertial navigation systems 51 times. Flight data recorder failures had received 14 complaints, as had the cockpit lights, autopilots, flight directors, instrument lights, and there were multiple other malfunctions which included sticking flaps and faults with the weather radar. The rectification of these failures mainly resulted in components being pulled out and pushed back in again, known as re-racking, the swapping of failed units with those on different aircraft, resetting circuit breakers, cleaning electrical contacts and replacement of relays. The crew of six who were operating the aircraft that day were led by 47-year-old Captain Refri Widodo and first officer Yoga Susanto, both very recent to the company but with good experience in the industry. The captain had over 13,000 hours with 3,800 on type and was flying the aircraft on that leg, whilst his first officer had 4,200 hours with 1,000 hours on type, and was operating as the pilot monitoring. Behind them in the cabin were four cabin crew, and a passenger complement of mainly Indonesian nationals, but also an American family of three, and a German. All appeared normal as the aircraft taxied out at Juanda Airport in Surabaya, and took off into thick weather that extended up to 30,000 feet. It was due to land at San Maratilangi Airport in Manado at 1600 local time. The pilots reached 35,000 feet, which put them above the stormy weather below. Flight path was pretty much a straight line, but the crew commented on a strong crosswind over the Makassar Straits. It was at the halfway point, as the 737 was over the Java Sea, approaching the western coast of Sulawesi, that radar contact was lost, and the flight stopped responding to radio calls. No distress call had been made. Flight 574 had just disappeared. 3,600 police and army personnel were mobilised to search for the missing aircraft, 
military aircraft with surveillance equipment, including infrared cameras from the Singapore Air Force, joined the search, as did a number of helicopters. The Indonesian Navy sonar-equipped minesweepers were dispatched and it deployed many remote submarines, but no trace of the Boeing could be found. The mountainous jungle terrain of Sulawesi and the poor weather with strong winds, low cloud and heavy rain hampered efforts, as did reports of unidentified distress beacons made by overflying aircraft, a Singaporean satellite and a local military base, none of which helped in locating the downed airliner. The search continued until the entire coastline of Sulawesi had been covered without a clue as to the whereabouts of the missing aircraft. Even relatives of missing passengers who had overflown and observed the tumultuous seas and rugged mountainous terrain agreed that the chances of finding the crash site were slim. Then pieces of wreckage began to be found by fishermen or were washed up onto beaches. Part of the right tailplane and wing were pulled from the sea and passenger seats, life jackets, a food tray, a tyre, an ID card and other small debris were recovered. In passenger clothing and even a trace of hair from a headrest was found, but the crash location was still unknown. Then, two weeks after Flight 574 disappeared, a pair of Singaporean-towed Pinga locators arrived at the search area and were deployed by the U.S. Navy reserve ship Mary Sears, which was assisting in the search. After a week of use, one of the locators picked up a signal from the underwater sonar transmitters attached to the flight recorder devices of the 737. They'd found the black boxes. After multiple sweeps of the area by the Mary Sears using its side-scan sonar, a wide area of wreckage was located 42 miles off the coast and confirmed to be all that was left of the crashed aircraft. However, at a depth of 2,000 metres, 6,600 feet, a senior Indonesian marine official said that he didn't believe the equipment required to retrieve the boxes from that depth was available in any Asian country. The search had already taken 24 days and the battery powering the underwater locator beacons was only guaranteed to last 30 days. After 33 days, the families of those lost travelled out on boats and threw flowers onto the waters over the remains of their loved ones. By now the Mary Sears had withdrawn on other duties, and an unseemly argument began over the cost of recovering the flight and voice recorders, and who would pay. Vice President of Indonesia, Yusef Kala, went so far as to question the need to retrieve the black boxes at all. As the squabbles went on, the signal from the black boxes faded, as the batteries were exhausted. But finally, seven months later, Adam Air signed a contract with a civilian company which had the underwater equipment capable of recovering the vital data boxes. Despite the difficult conditions and the fact that the boxes had moved some distance from their original locations in strong currents, near the end of August... A Phoenix International underwater robot scouring the seabed 
found and recovered them both. Six months later, the findings of the inquiry were published, with both the voice and flight data recordings available a firm conclusion was swiftly determined. Soon into the flight, one of the aircraft's inertial reference systems began to drift excessively, to the point where the Yujung air traffic controller exclaimed, Where is Adam direct to? My God, he's flying north. Their heading should have been 070, east-northeast. Throughout the final 45 minutes of the flight, the two pilots had been trying to solve the inaccuracy of their navigation system to the point where they had become engrossed in the problem. It was one that, had they followed their quick reference handbook correctly, or had sufficient system knowledge, could have been promptly solved, and there were plenty of alternative navigation aids available to them. To quote the inquiry, their actions to rectify the problem resulted in a number of decision errors. For the last 13 minutes, they concentrated on their problem with minimal regard to other requirements. In their attempts to rectify the fault, they selected the number 2 IRS away from navigate mode to attitude. This action had several repercussions, the most important being it disconnected the autopilot. All the time the autopilot had been engaged, it had been holding a little left aileron to counter a tendency for this aircraft to slowly roll right. On disconnection, the control wheels centred, and without that input, the aircraft began to gently bank right at between 1 and 4 degrees a second, well below the rate needed for our balance organs to detect. Still engaged in trying to fix the IRS system, the crew seemed not to have noticed the autopilot disconnect horn blaring, nor the annunciation of bank angle, bank angle, bank angle, bank angle, as the aircraft rolled past 35 degrees to the right. Their preoccupation with the IRS malfunction allowed them both to lose situational awareness, and even after they reached 100 degrees of bank and 60 degrees of nose-down pitch, with the overspeed warning clacking, they didn't roll wings level before attempting to pull out of the dive. By pitching the aircraft, all they achieved was to tighten the descending spiral that they had found themselves in. With a descent rate that peaked at over 52,000 feet per minute, an indicated speed that reached 490 knots and a Mach of over 0.92, their attempts to pull the aircraft up resulted in a G-force of 3.5 Gs, considerably more than the airframe could cope with. At around 10,000 feet, there was the sound of two loud thumps as the aircraft structure failed and the flight load went rapidly from plus 3.5 to minus 2.8 g as the aircraft broke up, and the recorder ceased operating. In a mitigation, it appeared that Adamair didn't bother to train its crews in IRS failures, and despite a worldwide effort to improve pilot training in jet upsets, they had failed to include that training either. The repercussions of this crash went well beyond the tragedy felt by the bereaved and the airframe lost to the airline. 
It drew into question the whole ethos behind the control of Indonesia's airlines. As the layers were peeled back, it became obvious that the system was broken. It was revealed that the previous year a similar problem had left one of Adam Air's aircraft meandering lost over the ocean for more than three hours. When they eventually saw land, they put the aircraft down safely, but still had no idea where they were. The airline claimed the aircraft to be in good working order and had the pilots arrested on charges of endangering passenger safety, but Indonesia's Director-General of Air Communications wasn't convinced. He told Adam Air to fix the aircraft, and they insisted they fly 13 test flights with inspectors on board. Instead, Adam Air stranded the DGAC team when they took off without them, and returned the aircraft to service without any inspection. The Director-General of Air Transportation said the incident was a serious violation and promised a full investigation, of which there is absolutely no record. Allegations of corruption abounded, particularly after another Adam Air 737 landed with such force at Surabaya that the fuselage broke and the tail section collapsed. Then another skidded off the end of the runway at Batam, causing major damage. The airline was again severely criticised when the crew on board mishandled the emergency evacuation by failing to deploy any slides. One of the airline's co-founders came under very close scrutiny since the businessman was also the Speaker of Indonesia's House of Representatives. Finally, the Indonesian government started to take action by replacing many at the Transportation Ministry, including the Directors of Air and Sea Transport and the Chair of the Committee for Safety. They banned Indonesian airlines from operating aircraft more than 10 years old and introduced a three-level system of safety ranking, advising 15 airlines in the lowest rank that their licenses would be revoked in three months unless they made major changes. No airline was in the top rank, which indicated no serious issues. Somehow, Adam Air moved up a rank and survived, but five others were shut down and five more grounded. Regardless, the word was out now, and the FAA downgraded Indonesia's air safety category from a 1 to a 2 and warned all U.S. citizens to avoid using Indonesian airlines. Then, in 2007, both the United States and the European Union banned all of Indonesia's airlines from operating into Europe or the USA, a ban that was only completely lifted in 2018. As for Adam Air, it struggled on until June 2008, when the government revoked its air operator certificate and the airline closed down. Prior to its demise, the company's owner, Sandra Ang, was accused of embezzling the company's money of approximately 210 million US dollars. She was later arrested. I've talked in previous tales about the dangers of distraction from a pilot's primary duty, that of flying the aircraft. The inquiry came to the same conclusion 
when they wrote, the crew became distracted. The dangers of this fact have been highlighted in accidents such as the Eastern Airlines Lockheed L-1011, Miami, Florida, on the 29th of December 1972, that crashed when the crew became preoccupied with a landing gear warning light. Flight 574 was yet another lesson on how important avoiding distraction is. I'm sorry, are we back on? I was kind of distracted. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Very good. Oh, the show. Oh, yeah, the show. Is that still going? (laughs) Oh, another fantastic. You're having so much fun there. No, another fantastic plane tale. Go ahead. I was actually, I was thinking very much of that Eastern um, Airlines flight. I'm glad you mentioned it at the end because that's kind of the um, quintessential. Excellent. It is. It is how uh, for them how something so trivial could have distracted everyone on the flight deck, but uh, you know it. it it's so, so sad that um, that kind of problem has reared its ugly head so many times since, and this is just another in the long list. But I tell you what, I I kind of liked. I mean, albeit in a you know, Schadenfreude kind of way. No one likes it, but this this highlighted so many failures within the in airline industry uh, in Indonesia. It's not the only country in the world to have problems. Don't get me wrong, but th- this was kind of a classic example. It went from pilot level, uh, you know, two pilots who were quite capable of dealing with this emergency, dealing with it very badly. Uh, and then it went up to their training. It went up to their airlines' disregard for flight safety. It went to the maintenance of the aircraft. It went to the oversight. It went to the politicians involved. It was just a quagmire of uh, ineptitude and corruption. Uh, an absolutely appalling story, you know, incredibly sad, uh, that resulted in all these deaths. And sometimes... Uh, you know, it's not the first time or will probably be the last time. Sometimes it needs a massive accident that kills a lot of people before anyone will actually do something to fix this. So, you know, just it, it is it is a fault of our industry that sometimes you let it get that far before, you know, something's done. Very true. Very true. Did you mention quagmire? You said there was a quagmire of... Um... <laughs> oh, it's not coming through. Darn it. <laughs> I, oh, I can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I did actually <laughs> mention that. thought you did. Yeah. Poor old quagmire. He's a bit of a, bit of a nightmare. Yeah, he, he is. A, a typical airline pilot, I'd say. Sadly. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Uh Typical American airline. Oh, okay, yeah. yes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes. So true. <laughs> is he a cowboy? He is a cowboy, Liz. Probably. Yeah. Liz, um, it looks like Jeff, we can lost you just our. Ch- check your clean yeah. feed again. Uh, it's, I it's, think it's gone. Well, we, we got it. Uh, let me. You mind to send another invite to see if he can reconnect? Sorry. Try pushing that button there. I just tried to reconnect, but it didn't reconnect. But All right. To, well, let me uh, let me send you another invitation. Okay. Sorry, everybody. Pardon our stuff going on here. Can I have an invitation? 
Sure. I always like a good party. Thanks. Oh, yeah. I don't know exactly how... Uh, well, it looks like Steph has an invitation for you. I have an invitation. I can't invite you to this, though. I'm sorry. <laughs> what, girls oh, only? another topless party? <laughs> topless? <laughs> a tapas, like the Spanish... Uh, oh, tapas. Yeah, tapas. Um, I, I don't know. Do they do tapas in Mexico also? Probably. Oh, they definitely Good. do topless in... Uh, in that case. Yeah. <laughs> Excited. I don't know what's going on The Mexican tapas are. We don't know either. That's why we're... But you guys are doing a great job of vamping. Thank you. Mm. That's not working. Uh, sorry, folks. It's my fault. That's right. We've only got half an hour to go. Do you want to connect that to the phone? Um, I'm not sure it's a... I got it. I actually connected to my hotspot. Oh, there spot. she is. There she is. Oh, hey, Liz. Okay. You hear me? Are you there? Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Sweet. All right. That's, that's a, okay. a tall black drink you've got there. It is. I that's noticed true. that you had tall, you know, black drinks. I, what you got? Drinks. <laughs> yeah. well, I've got a Guinness. I don't know what. Well, I know what you have. What is. Oh, liquid, liquid death. death. Oh, oh my God. God. Now you should have drunk that. Can we do the shimmy drink. damper now? Yeah, can, let's do that the shimmy been damper. Disappointing. Liz wants to do the shimmy it, damper the again. Results there too. <laughs> <laughs> what what, what is what kind of? This is one of my new there. favorite beverages. What is it? Um, and you should you should look it up if you're unfamiliar. It's you're a, not going to tell me. I have to look it up. Death. It's an energy drink, isn't it? Death. Is it an liquid energy death. drink? It's, it is not an energy drink. <laughs> it's a lack of and energy. It is, and, and it suck is energy. Not, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's where you just die after drinking it. <laughs> Do you feel like you've just run a marathon after you've had a had one or two? Uh, no. No. Oh. No. No. Okay. It, it does not contain alcohol. It's water. Oh. It's water. Is it just water? Well, what's the it's point? It's just water. It's sparkling water. The black really? can is sparkling water. The white can is still water. I, I say again, what's the point? <laughs> I I don't I believe. You're going to drown in all that water. It is sparkling water. Yeah. It, could they not put some alcohol in it for you? Well, that's kind of the point is that it's just water. Oh. I don't think that she's being honest about this. I'm going to have to look so, that up. Yes, she is. <laughs> oh, she is? Um, Oh, yeah. Liz is a uh, fact che- fact checkers. Liz has, Liz has fact, fact checked my my beverage. Uh, she has fact yeah. checked it, and uh, you are being honest for a change. It's from the Austrian mm-hmm. Alps. From the I Austrian like Alps. Just, I think that's just the and doctor the flexing on all of us pores that have to drink water out of the tap. Regular out of the tap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's why it's called hey, liquid. Listen, all I know is that Amazon will deliver this to my a case of this to my house in two hours if I run out. So that's great. Thanks so is there is your tap hours. water is not oh that's right they want to kill water. you that quickly wow yeah i don't i don't have sparkling water coming out of my tap unfortunately oh, well. so <laughs> if you did i would be i would be concerned about the quality of the water in that case it's probably bubbling no, for why uh, well, not yeah. a great reason why yeah. bubbles in your water don't worry about that don't worry about it <laughs> just pretend it's fancy left, put it in a glass okay uh, liz says that um, we have half an hour left so I think that she's trying to Sorry. tell us that we should move on. Thanks again, Nick. A great uh, plain tale, as always. I mean, no surprise. 
And uh, let's see, where did we leave off, Liz? Number six. Number six. Okay. Wow, we're going to have a lot of leftover uh, (laughs) feedback here. I'm happy. I know, Liz is very happy about that. Um, Okay, this is from Texas and Lashock. This and that, he says. Uh, Greetings, Captain Jeff and APG crew. This time I have something similar to what airplane geeks would call a bits and pieces feedback, just some random things that are generally unrelated, except for aviation. Someone asked a while back how we first got interested in aviation. Well, the way my parents tell it, they would be driving along and suddenly from my car seat, they'd hear, airplane! And then they'd look around and finally off in the distance, they'd see this tiny little sliver moving through the air. I was surprised to hear Captain Nick mention Bitburg in a recent plane tale. I lived there for around three years, though since we're civilians, we lived off base. We got there right after the wall came down. So early 90s, but I can't imagine it would have changed that much from where you were there. No, from where, from when you were there, I guess, probably. Uh, I still remember how loud those F-15s were, not just when they flew by, but when they started up. We even got to go on a school field trip to the base and see the squadron ready room and things like that. Yesterday, I was driving through Lubbock and noticed a plane flying around. Not that unusual, but this one was a 737 MAX 10 in Boeing house colors. Curious. I got on flight radar 24, checked the area. I found this was November 27751, flying as BOE 101, making circuits around the city, either for training or for testing something. The 101 number makes me think training. And there's the uh, image that uh, Liz is showing there of the circuits around the uh, Lubbock uh, Preston Smith International Airport, Lima Bravo Bravo. He said, uh, recently saw a movie reaction. Yes, this is a thing, believe it or not, of a a movie reaction of a couple people watching Independence Day. And when the nuclear attack scene came up, they thought they were seeing a different alien ship. Then they realized those were Air Force B-2s, which do look sort of like something from another world. That's part of the reason people love them so much. On this year's watch of Torah, 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 my sister's friend, who has become kind of an honorary family member, was over with her daughter, who was still learning how to talk. It was funny because whenever there was a plane on or one could be heard in the background, she'd point at the screen and go, Epping! <clears throat> Pretty good acting, huh? Um, Very good, Jeff. Thank you. you. Get a job doing that. <laughs> Epping! Voice over work in your future. You can do like cartoons. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, good. I'm a bit confused why we saw an A4 earlier when we were talking about B2s, but not to worry. Well, I didn't do that. I'm not in charge of those things. I'm sorry, that was my fault. Liz, that was Liz's fault. She's she's apologizing to you. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Finally, I had to go back to liberal for another week, uh, right across town from conservative. And so I took the opportunity to visit their (laughs) aviation museum again. (laughs) Thank you. That sounds very heartfelt. Um, this, this time I tried. You're getting better at discerning types of watches. Yeah, yeah definitely not real. Uh, this time I tried taking a few panoramics. Uh, there's my random collection of stuff. Hope you all have a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Congratulations on reaching 500. Oh, uh, 104. And uh, a, funny looking airplane, yellow airplane, green airplane. Okay. Nick is airplane. now uh, telling everybody what we're looking at on the screen. Yeah. Lots airplane. of airplanes. Lots. Oh my airplane. God. Airplane, airplane, panoramic. Airplane, airplane. <laughs> airplane, red nose, blue, blue airplane, helicopter airplane. 
Uh-huh. And a plane with a goldfish in. <laughs> oh, you're so good uh, at this, Nick. OV-10. airplanes. Airplane. Okay. Uh, Two-tail airplane. Sleepy Jaya. Right. Yeah, that's the one, too. <laughs> you want more airplane? <clears throat> Thank you, Texas Amleshock. Uh, he's now regretting that he sent any of this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Don't blame him. Right, we kind of get a little you know, punchy when we get toward the end of the show. Um, and uh, speaking of punchy, uh, we have this feedback from Tim Van Ram. You may have heard of that guy. Uh, he said, the chat room. hey, y'all, sharing Bob Rivers beat up old jetliner for your enjoyment. Now, he sent me a, a YouTube link uh, with this uh, audio. And uh, we've actually, Tim, uh, played this on the show, but it's been quite some time ago that we did. And I'll just play just a little touch of it here. Uh, it's, a, it's kind of a funny uh, satire of uh Big old jet airliner. So let's take a listen. Let's listen to the whole thing. <laughs> I forgot that that was in there. <laughs> I just turned off the no smoking sign. I figure, hell, the plane's smoking. Why shouldn't you? <laughs> hey, now, Liz, oh, that's, that was good. That last, that last bit was brilliant. That's unfair of you. She she showed the the airplane Reaper, which is a picture of me as the Grim Reaper. Yeah, I used to fly that airplane, and uh, I take great offense to that song. Actually, it's pretty accurate. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Uh, great. That, that used to be regular part of your show. What? 
Isn't that music? Don't I? I mean, oh, big old jet or liner. Play regularly. Uh, That's Rick's intro. Yeah, on, Rick's, um, your, yeah. yeah, Rick's intro music, and then oh no, it was a different song that you use for your um, um, the thing that you do every once in a while that I haven't done in so long that I've forgotten what yeah, they're the called. Logs. <laughs> <laughs> this is my regular crew yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. Any Let idea. me put it this way: that's not the first time I've heard it. I'm sure. <laughs> Crew logs. Crew logs. Yeah. That's a Miami Ricks intro. Maybe if we play it, he'll come on. Ah, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Good idea. Liz says maybe if we play it, he'll he'll show up. Come on the show. I don't know. Yeah. So go ahead and play it again. Okay. Is he going to show up? Come on, Rick. Well, you know, he might show up. I Let's see. Uh, we, have a, we have a remote camera. Liz? I think so. Uh, yeah, we do. Just hang on. Yeah. Okay. Let's see if we can... Uh... Hey. Yeah, there he is. Hey, Rick. <laughs> hey, Rick. Rick, you're late, mate. Stop it. How many darn OCD? shirts have you on? You know, uh, he hasn't got rid of that, that crease yet. He'll no, be there as soon as he's got rid of the crease. What? No, he can't hear you. Rick. Rick, your microphone's not Still on. Still hasn't figured out his microphone. No. Man. Yeah, he... Okay, that's, the, that's, <laughs> a, that's enough. All right. Well, we tried, folks. We yeah, really did. About 20 minutes left. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's jump to this next. Thank you, Tim, for sending that in. Jump and to the next one. Let's jump to the next one. Oh, I see what you did there, Liz. Uh, uh, this is from Andy Harris. He said, jumping emergencies. Hi, crew. First of all, thank you so incredibly much for the amazing time in Atlanta. I'll always remember the day meeting Captain Jeff and others. He had to mention the others, but it's mostly just Captain Jeff. No, I'm just, just Captain others. others. That's fine. We're definitely just others. I don't know Captain <laughs> others either. Did you meet Andy, uh, Steph? I think so. Uh, apparently, you didn't make a big impression. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty, she, was, she was drunk. Pretty sure Uh-oh. I met Andy. Yeah, pretty sure I'm an Andy. <laughs> sure you did. I will, I will just say I am terrible with names, and Liz did send me name tags to have there, but they arrived like two days after the event. Yeah, so. the, oh, no. the postal system and I have, delivery oh, system no, I fails. Other stash of things. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Anyway. Okay. Anyway, um, I'm listening to 502 and Doctor Steph. Ah, she. He remembers you. Uh, mentions emergencies yeah. in the jumper dumper plane. That made me wonder, Doctor Steph. Would you ever tell your jumpers just to jump in the event of an onboard emergency? What a unique option to have, the more I think about it. Yeah, it's a good question, Eddie. Um, and there are situations where that would be um, a preferable thing to have them do. Um, I can. Uh, it, it's an interesting topic of conversation that comes up generally every year um, when we do our safety day with staff and jumpers, um, because there's a lot of considerations that go into this. Um, Depends on the type of emergency and depends on the altitude you're at when the emergency occurs. And it depends on where you are when the emergency occurs. Um, You know, if it's um, if it's a low level emergency, um, you know, most of the jumpers are not going to be comfortable exiting at a low altitude, even if they were to consider going straight to their reserve parachute, which will open um, quite a bit quicker because um, that's just a different emergency procedure unless you've really thought it through and have great confidence it's that's probably not a good idea um, also at lower altitudes we're very unlikely to be directly over the airport at that point so they'll be landing certainly off 
field. Um, and you have to take a look and consider what is in the area. Is it a big, you know, forest of trees or is it kind of gentle, forgiving cow pastures? Um, you know, if it's if it's something very catastrophic, even if it's a lower altitude, um, that might be a preferable option to have people get out. Um, what we stress and teach our jumpers is that if there is an emergency with the aircraft, they are to sit down, <laughs> which they should be sitting anyway, um, but be very quiet. Um, they need to take directions from the pilot or pilots and things need to be, information needs to be passed in an orderly fashion from the front of the aircraft to the back of the aircraft because it can be quite loud. Um, and if people start yelling and screaming and making their own decisions, it gets very chaotic in, in a hurry. Um, you know, a good instance of where that might, um, and I'm thinking of, um, you know, not things that have happened to me, but things that I've heard may have happened to other pilots where perhaps there was an error in fuel calculation um, and at a very high um, altitude. Um, yeah, um, but, you know, high altitude, relatively close to the to the drop zone. Not a bad decision to have everyone get out of the aircraft um, so that you can manage that fuel emergency. Um so there, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of different things that can, can certainly happen in a lot of different scenarios. And it's good to periodically think about all of the different things that might happen or might be an emergency. Um, you know, there can be gear emergencies, there can be gear entanglements with aircraft, there can be, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. And it just depends on that particular instance, that particular situation, um, as to what you're going to ask your jumpers to, to do. But primarily, they need to remain as calm as they can and let the pilots work the emergency and take direction from the pilots. So what I got from that is you really don't care about the jumpers and it's <laughs> more important that the pilots get on the ground safely. Yes. Is that, did I, was that the no, takeaway? Not no, at that's, all. that's not, not all. Yeah. No, our, take, our takeaway 100%, 100% is that everybody gets to the ground safely. I'm just kidding. And, and it, is right. an, it is a unique option. You know, it's not, it's not an option that, um, you know, if you're – any and a passenger, uh, just a passenger on an aircraft, um, in a normal setting, that you would have that opportunity to potentially leave and ha have a safe exit and safe landing. Yeah. So. Funny, so, I had it in my mind that jumpers would generally be better than the average passenger and wouldn't be screaming and making a lot of noise. <laughs> well, so there, there <laughs> Am are. Am I some, wrong? <laughs> um, I, I, you know, knowing about a lot, you know, uh, again, things that generally have not happened to me, but instances and situations that I know about that have happened. Um, it doesn't matter. People are people in emergency situations. These are, and a lot of the times they're not necessarily aircraft specific. Sometimes it can be things happening within the airplane. It can be gear issues. It can be other things that could become problematic quickly. And um, um, yeah, you don't want everyone making individual decisions a lot of times you want people to have a, a cohesive plan good sounds good to me so uh in the what do you shut up in the back <laughs> in the uh very limited amount of uh keep your feet off the furniture <laughs> go ahead nick uh, i was He's gonna say, say something very serious i think in the uh, yeah. in the very yeah, limited a good question in the very limited amount of jumper dumper experience that i have um I think it's safe to say we like the jumpers that I fly are a very different clientele than the jumpers that Steph flies. Um, but generally, when we when we get on the airplane with the uh, reenactor guys who are um, jumping out of the airplane on static lines in like fifty oh, year old clothes, that's a different situation entirely. They yeah. are like they're going to get out. Give us a bell like, at five hundred feet, 
And as soon as we hear that bell, if anything happens, wow. we are going out of the airplane. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and to be honest, that's a little, it, it, you know, so that's, that's something that we, we do talk to, um, especially newer jumpers about, but also jumpers who maybe have been doing this for a long time, but don't think about emergencies on a regular basis. We want people to um, think through, not in great detail about what the actual emergency is, but you know, if there's an emergency and your pilot asks you to consider getting out of the aircraft at 2,500 feet, AGL, is that something that you're comfortable doing with the gear that you have? Um, and there's going to be some jumpers who are not comfortable with that, and they're not going to want to do that unless they absolutely have to. Um, there's other jumpers who have been doing it for a very long time. They're very comfortable with their gear. They know exactly what they're going to do in that situation. And um, as soon as they even, if they think there's actually a serious emergency, they might just go on their own. Um, yeah. And I, I think it's also important. You mentioned yeah. like letting the pilots work the issue, right? Like, um, yeah, with because not everything that's been perceived to be a huge issue by someone in the back might be something that's, you know, that catastrophic that we couldn't be able to solve or yeah, or, or vice safely. versa, right? Like it could be a right. could be an issue that is imminently workable until you have three thousand pounds of payload go out the airplane Exiting. and then make the airplane handle completely differently, and you're differently. only a few hundred sure. feet off the ground. So yeah, it's sure. definitely yeah. important to have good communication mm-hmm. there. Well, Neil says, uh, are jumpers grouped by experience or could you have a tandem first timer with experienced people? We typically have a very big mix of jumpers on the aircraft. Um, It doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes it's a a flight of all tandem uh, instructors and jumpers. Sometimes it's all one big experienced group or several big, several experienced groups. Um, But more often than not, I'd say it's a handful of tandem students with their instructors, a couple of their videographers, and then... um, sport jumpers, and of varying degrees of experience. So some who have thousands and thousands and thousands of jumps, and some who have like 30. Well, that was a good question and great answer. Thank you, Steph. Yeah. Um, Annie Harris continues, uh, Captain Jeff, while at Atlanta, I spent a lot of time watching the airport operations. It has to be a challenge trying to get in and out of the ramp areas. A few times I heard pilots complaining about baggage carts cutting them off or being in the way on live ATC. Does this happen often? Is this fairly unique to it? All the time! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Be- because uh, of how the ramps are set up, do you ever have to complain to ramp control about dangerous ground vehicles? Uh, All the time! Yeah, well, you know what? It happens so much, I don't even bother anymore <laughs> I just, we just have to be very vigilant uh when we're approaching ramp areas and you know it's like we're you know the first officer is looking over on his side you know okay the roadway's clear the roadway's still clear i'm looking over my side yeah the left is clear left is clear you know it's just we know where the the where the major roadways are for the ramp uh, and other ground support vehicles and we just are like our heads are on a swivel uh going into the ramp area and uh, i found that I don't think it makes any difference to complain about the uh, the ramp uh, vehicles or or not. You know, I've never heard any feedback about it, but yeah, but yeah, it, you have to be very very aware of what's happening, uh, and you don't want to be that guy that hits one of these uh, tugs or other vehicles because it happens, and usually with uh, not favorable results for the person driving said ramp vehicle. So, yeah, that's my answer. All right. So uh, Andy closes with take care, and I hope to see everyone at Oshkosh. I'd like to do that, Andy. Hopefully I will uh, see you there 
um, in a few months, right? Well, several months. Seven months, yeah. Yeah. Okay. A few, depending on how you count. Okay, thanks, Liz. Go right to number 18. And yeah, I'd now. like to do uh, one uh, piece of audio feedback from uh, Paul. You'll remember Paul, uh, Captain Nick. Uh, he was with us in uh, Dayton a couple of uh, years ago uh, when we were up Absolutely. there to visit the U.S. Air Force Museum. We shared a, we shared a um, Airbnb. Um, Airbnb, didn't we? Yes, we did. And Absolutely. Uh, Paul sent us some. Uh, and uh, before I, well, you know, I'll just play it right now. Let's see. Here we go. Paul used SpeakPipe to send us in some audio feedback, and you can too. It's on the website. We'll talk about that in a minute. Hi, APG crew. This is Paul from between Cleveland and Pittsburgh. How's everybody doing? Hope you have some good holidays and good memories. It's the funniest thing. I was just going over for my four hundred one k. And the way I basically do it is I assign numbers to the different percentages related to the number of years. Well, what's this got to do with aviation? Well, other than money, to make, you know, airplanes fly with money, it's not jet fuel. But anyways, um, I was going over and I heard, found myself doing something really weird. I'm going over my numbers, multiplying twos and tens and fives and tens and fours and threes and fives and stuff like that. Well, I found myself going over these numbers like, well, 50, 40, 30, 10, retard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well... That's that. I got that uh, APG itis disease too. All right, have a good one. Over and out. Thanks, Paul. And I don't think yeah, very good. I don't think it's APG itis. I think it's no. The official name is a little different. Wait, why is this not playing? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Fix it in post. Okay. Look at that. I hit the button. I really did. The button? Button? I hit the button. Okay. Uh, let me go over here. Alternate. My my backup method. Alternate reality. Uh, yeah, that's what the show is. Alternate reality. And uh, let's see. Where is it? Help me find this. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Nick found it more quickly than I did. Can Nick come back <laughs> APG syndrome. It's APG syndrome. That's it. Yeah, not APG itis. Come on, Paul. APG syndrome. Ah! <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you for the feedback, Paul. And uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, a lot of us suffer from it. And, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of bleeds into our regular life, uh, sadly. Sorry. That's an apology, an official apology from the airline pilot guy show. Um, oh, and uh, nine. and before I continue, just wanted to mention, you know, I, I, I thanked a bunch of people for all the all the uh, help that I received when I was in Atlanta for the APG 500 celebration episode, and uh, Paul uh, hung around on that uh, Saturday the next day and helped me with a lot of 
cleanup and packing up and taking stuff to my car and that kind of thing. And I really do appreciate it, Paul. And I'm sorry that I didn't remember to thank you. And I knew that I would forget someone. And uh, I was right. <laughs> I did. So uh, thanks, Paul, for sending in the feedback. And uh, let's skip over to number nine. Number nine. <laughs> All right. This is from Bruce. Greetings, uh, Captain Jeff, Captain Nick, Dr. Steph, Miami Rick, and Producer Liz. I thought you and your listeners might enjoy this feedback that also contains a brain teaser. Uh-oh. That's not a good nope. thing. Yeah. Not doing it. <laughs> Sorry, Bruce. Question. Okay, fine. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to move forward. We're going to push through it, Steph. If you were on approach to an airport and ATC asked you to do a twirl, would you know what to do? It says pause here to discuss and answer. <laughs> um, immediately when I when I first read this, I thought a twirl. I think maybe they mean like a, like do a circle, you know, like three sixty, three sixty, an orbit. Yeah, uh, no, it's it's a uh, it's a British um, <laughs> chocolate bar, a twirl. Well, and so I think you'd obviously you'd, you'd reach back to the <laughs> rations and you'd eat a twirl. I don't know quite why they want you to do that, but well, I think it's also a sexual maneuver. <laughs> um, it could be, <laughs> but I've no idea what you get up to. Liz is saying something. Well, to you do might with... get out of your seat, put your kilt on like Rick does, and spin around on do the flight deck. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or uh, Liz mentions it could be have something to do with like a a, a drum major or a, a drum major. yeah like yeah. a the well, baton, like a baton thing. or a drumstick. Yeah. yeah. Not a lot of headroom to throw your drumsticks in the air though, are there? Yeah. Well, anyway, he continues. Not a lot of room to twirl either in your kilt. But. And this is not uh, or twerk for that matter. Um, <laughs> uh, That's more Rick's thing. Yeah, I know. I was thinking of Rick. You're in I, a weird headspace. I am in a weird headspace. Thank you, Liz. That's that's normal for me. Okay. Uh, Bruce continues. Does he twerk when he's ironing? I want to know that. We don't. Well, we can't he show that. He saves that for the extreme ironing competition. <laughs> yeah. Patented yeah. move. Yeah. yeah. We don't want to give away his secrets. He gets extra points for twerking. Yes. Yeah, very good. That's how he's going to win it all this year. I'm sure. Uh, shh. Secret weapon. <laughs> and that's really why he couldn't join us because he's really, you know, he's, he's really Training hard. practicing hard on this <laughs> twerking maneuver. Okay. My niece, Christina, not mine, but uh, Bruce's niece, Christina, has just completed her first flight as a newly appointed captain flying the Metroliner 3. Yay. Yay for a small northern. Oh, she looks pleased with herself. Quite right, too. <laughs> Excuse me. And look uh, at no propellers have gone through the fuselage. No, they're all well, all five pops are still on that thing. <laughs> well, interesting. You look. So I'm looking at this one, and is this what you were talking about, uh, Nick? The reinforced like plate uh, there just below yeah. the window. Yeah, yeah. So I think with so. the window, yeah. This, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's Mind the same. You, those props are huge, aren't they? They yeah. look bigger than the fuselage. Those are large props. props. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Thank, you. Thank you for noticing. Um, give it <laughs> let's see. You got to give it props. <laughs> well, that's worse than my jokes, Liz. Okay. I know. Um, anyway, so Christina uh, is a new captain on the Metroliner 3 for a small northern Ontario commuter airline, perhaps known as Acme Far North. She was pilot flying and hoping for an uneventful flight. She and her, her FO were on approach to 
Sault 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 Saint Marie. Sault Saint. Thank you. Sault Saint Marie. <laughs> I don't know why I have trouble with that. Sault Saint Marie, Ontario. Charlie Yankee Alpha Mike. When ATC asked them to slow for traffic ahead, they powered back and then deployed flaps, but were unable to slow enough. So ATC indicated this won't work. Can you do a twirl? <laughs> she and the FO looked at each other <laughs> and asked for a clarification. ATC advised them to do a left turn, circle around, and rejoin the approach to land. Neither of the pilots had ever heard of a twirl before. Maybe it's a Canadian ATC expression. <laughs> I don't think so. Probably not in the official uh, ATC no, communications. Over to AGNRH. Yeah, AGNRH. Yeah. That's that's yeah. a question for them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ask them. Hey, uh, have I you ever done a twirl? An orbit. <laughs> an orbit, or a th actually, I've heard it say orbit's a, not very A three hundred and sixty is usually what I hear. Three hundred and sixty. Really? Yeah, three hundred and sixty yeah. is more common here. Orbit is less yeah. common here. But we're cowboys, so you know what are you going to do? <laughs> actually, they say, yeah. how about how yeah. about doing a lasso? <laughs> 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 all right there and then uh, liz showed a picture of his niece beside her aircraft for her first flight there it is again uh very nice um, that's great yeah that looks really good well done congratulations christina okay and is that it liz Hopefully. Well, yeah, we're right at three hours. Yeah, now. we were hoping to do some more, and uh, we're going to have to move that to the next show. We got some great uh, video from Gubby, uh, speaking of Canadians, uh, on his uh, one of his He's British missions. He just happens to work in Canada. Part. Oh, that's right. Well, okay, you're right. He is. Uh, he flies for the Canadian Air Force. A C-17 has sent us some good video regarding yeah, that. The, Brit, the British wouldn't, take, wouldn't employ him. <laughs> well, we don't want to talk about that on the show, Nick. We, <laughs> that was something we agreed to, I thought. Um, okay. Justin Beaver, Sorry, Beaverhausen sent us some really some funny feedback. And, uh, and, and so much more. We have more feedback from Mike and Spencer and Tim and uh, Tom. And, hey, you too. Uh, maybe you can send us some feedback and we'll play Me it too. on one of our upcoming shows, except not you, Nick. No. You do feedback okay. every week. Yeah. It's called Plain Tales. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. Oh, so okay. we don't want to hear more from you. <laughs> so Nick C next to me is hearing everything that Liz is. See what I have to listen to the whole time? It's pretty funny, actually. Uh, so anyway, it's time now. Do you want to just, do, you wanna just uh, do number 17? Okay, we'll wrap it up with something funny. Uh, we uh, 17. This is from the geezer in Tulsa, Larry. And uh, he says, is Captain Nick barnstorming again? And there we go. It's a Gary Larson cartoon, which I, I we just all love Gary Larson. It says, fool, give me those controls. You're just dang lucky. Both barn doors were open. And of course, it's the uh, front end of a airplane fuselage and a cow is draped on top of the fuselage and so somebody yeah, that is, that's uh -huh. just like me barnstorming gonna say you just dang lucky yeah that's, that's <laughs> dang lucky you're still alive say. you wouldn't use the phrase dang, dang lucky. lucky yeah dang darn lucky. lucky darn lucky for sure you just darn lucky. You just are darn, darn lucky. Darn doors are open. Darn yeah. lucky. You know what? You're lucky. We're gonna. Cowboy lingo. We think we're just gonna make oh. you an honorable cowboy. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got it, me in. You're one of us now. <laughs> I just need a six shooter. <laughs> yes, you do. All right. Oh, Nick with a gun. That's a scary thought. 
Yeah. Anyway, it's time now for us to wrap up the show and uh, tell thank you. Go for that. Thank goodness. Yes. Uh, we're going to talk about the website because it says there right on the uh, right on the video right there, airlinepilotguy.com. Uh, which is where you can find out more if I don't know why you'd want to, but if you want to find out more about the crew, uh, our biographies are there as well as information about our wonderful community, which is really the best part of all of this. And uh, we have um, merchandise and we have information about the coffee fund and we have uh, an extended expanded information page regarding all the plane tales that uh, captain nick does every week excuse me the old pilot does every week and what else oh if you're if you're into then books and stuff to read uh, we have book a learning. Uh, some do some book learning <laughs> we have the apg library and uh, tiffany is uh, in charge of all that thank you tiffany and uh, so much more so check out uh, the airlinepilotguy.com website. We're also on uh, social media, what I like to call the Sochmades staff. <laughs> we are on the Sochmades, but I just want to point out before that um, mm-hmm. that if um, anything we've said has been offensive to you in the past <laughs> several minutes or a couple hours, we can also be reached at I'm offended at airlinepilotguy.com. We can. Um, but, you know, feel free to reach out on the social meds as well. We're at uh, Twitter. We are at APG Crew on your Twitter app or um um, just regular web browser, I suppose. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash airline pilot guy, and also Instagram. We are uh, APG crew there. Um, if you really, really, really want to get to know some of the, the diehards and the, the folks who um, join us every single week and, you know, do all the meetups and other fun stuff, you should consider Slack. And I will let Hillel tell you about that. Yeah, if you're a slacker, this is for you. So let's see if... Uh... Okay, I think I hear the water running. Okay, hang on. Hello? Hello, can you do slack? Okay, but I'm dripping wet. That's okay, as always. Just come over here. Uh, Nick, you're going to have to move out of the way. Uh, he's going to come over here, and, and sometimes he doesn't do a good job of keeping all the water. Drying off. It gets, it gets all over the place. Okay, all right. Hello, do you tell- think that's water? Oh, I hope so. Uh, Hill, tell us about slack, please. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1 and see you in Slack. Well, thanks a lot, Hillel. We do appreciate it. And uh, if you want to learn. Oh, I got shampoo in my eyes. Uh oh. Uh oh. That sounds painful. <laughs> yeah, it's good to mix there. Hang on. We'll, we'll be right with you. Kind of wrapping up the show. Okay. As long as he's wrapped up. Yeah, as long as you're wrapped up. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Liz. Okay. And uh, speaking of Liz Piper, there in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Uh, thank you very much for all the hard work. Good job. Trying to keep us straight. Not always successful. Uh, we do appreciate your uh, all the stuff that you do for us. 
And finally, oh, thank you, Nick, for Nick too. For absolutely, yeah. Thank you for having me. There's a pause for Nick Camacho. All right, and finally, yes. Thank I goodness. want some applause. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay, and Nick Anderson. That was awesome. And oh, wait a minute. Uh, let's not forget staff. We have to. Uh, Hey, hey. How about Steph's Roomba? Yay, oh, Steph's Roomba! Yay, Steph's Roomba! Very nice. Good job. Ah, wow, so many people to thank in so little time. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and Taco has been here this whole time. Oh, Taco! Taco. Oh, Taco. Taco. He's very confused yeah. by the clapping right now. I'm sure he His is. His tennis ball is just out of shot. He, he dropped it at my feet earlier, and he's clearly given up. He's like, I'm never going to have this ball thrown for me again oh, in my life. That's so sad. Okay, yeah, I'm sure and a chat know. room. Oh, and the chat room. Now, so you know, so you know, we're we're not going to do this every time. Okay. <laughs> and, I don't know what's gotten into us. And finally, so finally, uh, we're going to end the show. Yay! Thank you for that. Wishing you all clear skies and limited visibility and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody. <laughs> the best. Thanks, everybody. Good day.